Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is West Beach of the Plasmatics. And when I want to check out all things KISS, I listen to Time and Zeus on the Shout It Out Loudcast. and salutations welcome to the shout it out loudcast don't turn your radio dial you're in the right place the album review review crew is back with episode 23 we're calling this one once there was an album release that billy ray silas cyrus <laughs> achy breaky hearted and it's entirely possible that we can touch the bottom with it today tommy and zeus i hate you how are you what on earth are you talking about right now? <laughs> now people are going to think we're doing Billy Ray Cyrus. I'm lost. But no, it was you. it was Billy Ray Silas. I think oh, whatever. <laughs> whatever. Silas. Yeah. Although, although I'll tell you right now, Sonny's probably wishing we were doing a Billy Ray Cyrus. That's right absolutely now. right. Some gave all absolutely. behind. Me. It's right behind me. Oh, God. Don't tease people. Oh, that oh, shit's <laughs> horrible. In a bad way. Teasing. Horrible. Oh, we're we're back, and it's just the three of us. See, the the four person experiment has come and gone. Yeah, it's that's because nobody else wanted to do this. <laughs> no, that's because no one else wanted to listen to a six hour episode on Pearl Jam ten with four people. I was gonna say that's the legacy of Tony Musalem. <laughs> he, he ended the four person rotation, and by the way, we have to thank him. Why? No, we don't. We have to thank him for our wonderful intro music and for killing the full person <laughs> ARC episodes. And for not, we like to thank Tony for not joining us today. We appreciate it. Hey, he, trust me, when we're done with this, he's thanking us. Don't worry. Do you you be nice? It's too early for this. You be nice. Ah, <laughs> oh, this uh. one has been brewing for a while. There've been text messages, hints at fucking animosity. We have no idea. As always, Sonny's always very coy. Where this is going to go. Pearl Jam 10. Wow. I, th- I think we have an idea. Although Sonny's a gambler, so he could be doing his poker face saying how horrible this is. And then all of a sudden he could surprise us. I'm not betting on that. I don't know. What I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> don't bet on that. Keep your money in your pocket for that one. Awesome. Oh, awesome. God. Well, to get this one rolling, we're going to do a five hour review. Thanks to Tony Musalem comments on Dawkin. Um, Let's. Uh, Let's take a look back at last month's episode. We did Dawkin back for the attack. Tom, you want to lead us off? Yeah, and I'm sure um, you you guys are probably still listening to that episode. (laughs) You probably haven't finished it by the time this one drops. In in Hotel California. (laughs) What's better than two episodes totaling eight hours? 
<laughs> and um, the fighting. It's like, George Lynch sucks. No, he doesn't. Yes, he does. No, he doesn't. Yes, he does. That was basically all the comments. <laughs> oh, God. So, so we yeah, we did Back for the Attack, Doc, and then uh, we always start with our poll. So we picked uh, our four top songs for the poll, and the options were Kiss of Death, Heaven Sent, Burning Like a Flame, and Dream Warriors. And Kiss of Death took it with 37%. And what does it matter with you people? Dream Warriors second with 33. Heaven Sent at 10%. Burning Like a Flame made a showing at 20. I mean, I'm not surprised Kiss of Death, but Dream Warriors. Yeah, I mean, it's good, but come on. It's, it's not better than Heaven Sent or Burning Like a Flame. That's just me. A um, couple comments here. We'll move through. Um, Twisted Kister said, I'm definitely not around many Dawkins fans. I thought all of you hated Dream Warriors. I picked Kiss of Death, one of the most ferocious pieces of music Lynch has ever done. Agreed. Our buddy Nige, Savage, none of the above. I listened to this episode with my jaw on the floor. I guess my opinion of Dawkins differs wildly from yours. I admit Lynch is a great guitarist, but that's where my love for Dawkins ends. Awful, sappy pop songs pretending to be rock. To quote Tom, ooh. <laughs> uh, R.C. Campbell, my favorites are Sleepless Nights and Burning Like a Flame. Oh, speaking of Sleepless Nights, is that the song that turned into like a 50 comment thread? That's right. Oh. Yeah. And that's it was, what- which one's better, Sleepless Nights or No Bone Movies? Yeah. Oh, that was the that conversation. <laughs> and that's why it's a three-person show from here on out. <laughs> Uh, Paul says kiss of death by a long shot. One of my favorite Lynch riffs and solos, a great melodic song with a great galloping rhythm. All right. Um, buddy, Steve, so many great tracks off one hell of an album burning like a flame. Always been my favorite. Uh, Scott says for me, tooth and nail and under lock and key are more cohesive albums, but attack is a stronger collection of songs. If that makes sense. Uh, Dave Ryan, awesome album. Heaven sent. Our buddy West Beach, Dream Warriors is a great hook and catchy as hell, more memorable than the movie it's taken from. Uh, oh, here we go. Here comes Tony jumping in with comments, and then it never ends from there on. Uh, he, he gets into this big conversation with Wes and Tony, which is great. Two guitar guys, you know, they're, they're musicians, so that's good. Good for them. Um, so that that's some Twitter-related uh, Twitter stuff here. Let's get into some uh, some episode-specific comments here when we talk about the uh, on the Twitter post there. Tony, again, very excited to talk about George Lynch. Uh, you just just can't get enough of this. Our buddy John Gross is great episode, guys. I've been a Dawkins fan since I first heard Breaking the Chains in 1983. And here we go. Uncle Steve's Iron Maiden Zone took over the Twitter handle for this episode for a while. Starts getting into a big debate again about sleepless nights and all that stuff. But we love we love the interaction. That That's why I thought the Dawkin pick was a good pick. Is everybody, even if you're not a fan of Dawkin, you like George Lynch and you like what he does. George Harker, really good album. Time has not been good to Don. I saw him with Lita, Sebastian, and Rat a few years back. I missed all of the high notes. He missed all the high notes, gave up on Dream Warriors, weirdly was spitting all over. <laughs> and... <laughs> And bragged about the six hours of hits he could play. He was out of shape and brutal. <laughs> Sounds like a podcast. Did you say? Did you say Lita, Sebastian, Rat, yeah. and Dawkins talk yeah. about four rough live acts right now? Say <laughs> agreed, agreed. That's a rough crowd. I, you say that? I don't know. I have to disagree. When we saw Rat a couple years back with Warren there, I thought they were great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I've never seen Lita. 
Uh, I have a feeling. I have a feeling there's not a lot of tread left on that Ooh. tire, though. So <laughs> she still looks good. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Oh. <laughs> Our buddy Joel Hoffman. He's always excited to get into this. Never could get into Dawkins for some reason. Just didn't appeal to me like my other '80s bands, especially Poison. Yes, I'm serious. However, <laughs> Dawkins was extremely talented. I just never liked Tan Boy Lynch in his Kaja Gugu hairdo. <laughs> <laughs> that is actually a really excellent call. Don's voice was thin and weak, in my opinion. This is after he just said he likes poison, but that's okay. We, we, we love you, Joel. Um, and then we got somebody, Jules, actually has an original framed poster of the Doc and Back for the Attack ad with the album cover and then four uh, shots of it, of, uh, of all the members. Our buddy Costa, super episode, guys. Enjoyed the explanation of this LP's instrument approach via Tony and Sonny. Always felt Back for the Attack was like a best of with so many great songs. Never had to fast-forward the tape in my Walkman. Dawkins clearly underappreciated, very talented, yet remained in the background. Uh, our buddy DG from Tennessee, love the episode, love the show. My favorite Dawkins album, Kiss of Death, Prisoner, Heaven Sent, and Sleepless Nights are all standouts. Little bit of a lull after Mr. Scary, but a strong finish with, Gyp- with Cry the Gypsy, Sleepless Nights, and Dream Warriors. This album should have blown them up. JC says, still hoping you guys will do an episode on all the crazy songs with bad boy in the title. (laughs) Nice. Stuart H. I love this podcast, but I don't always agree with the assessments. The love of Ingve, for example, but the extreme dock and love. I just don't understand. I just hear boring pop music with an overplayed guitar. And number one album from Tony. Really? Uh oh. Uh-oh. Then <laughs> it turned out. I've seen that. But he? then it turned into a bloodbath right there. It got ugly. <laughs> Let's see. And then, of course, Tony resp- responds with a picture of George Lynch. So that's OK. Uh, let's see here. What do we got here? Our buddy Steve, given his rankings for the songs and everything, as always, we love Steve's uh, interaction with us there. Dr. Van Halen. So Dawkins always felt like Don's voice went with George and the boys like sardines and peanut butter. (laughs) I was always pulling for them, but they needed a different singer. Wow. Okay. Clark side of the moon. Great episode. Great album. I discovered doc with tooth and nail. I love Don George and the songwriting. Also great point by Sonny Pooney about the importance of Jeff Pilsen. Mad respect for his bass and vocal contributions. Nice. Uh, Oh, and then our buddy Wes, has a picture of him with a uh, wild Mick Brown and Carlos Cavazzo also not of Dawkins, but everybody knows who Carlos is. Um, so yeah, so there's some great Twitter feedback and interaction from my, everybody that was a big fan of the album or at least a fan of the episode. So Zeus, what do you got? Well, over on our book of face, Tom, yeah. uh, Jeff Wyatt, this is my favorite album of Dawkins. So many tears and sleepless nights are absolute gems in my book. Keith Rochford, Oh, yeah. My fave doc album. Everything meshed perfectly. Vocals, guitar tone and songwriting. Too bad they couldn't hold it together after this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got a lot of that, you know, yep. about them breaking up and stuff. Um, Mark Arnold was never a big docking fan, mainly because I've never been exposed to them when I was younger. They just weren't a band that anyone I knew listened to or that I ever heard on the radio. Can't remember seeing them on much music up here in Canada. I'll give the album a couple spins before checking the episode out. The first listen was better than I expected, but not amazing, at least not to me. And then we got Max Lynch. The discussion is about why this band didn't reach higher status comes down to one thing. Don Dawkins himself, the weakest link, never cared for his voice, especially when he uses that nasally head voice. 
He's more tolerable <laughs> at a lower vocal register. Unlike Sonny Pooney, I can get past a singer. I don't particularly care for and still appreciate good material. The one part you got wrong is not ranking Dream Warriors the worst song. I'll skip it every time. I'll much rather they left uh, Back for the Attack on instead. Mm-hmm. I'll expect Sonny to be his old self on the next review. Him staying on brand. And then he's got a cartoon photo of Sonny's happy, gorgeous face saying, bad music takes are kind of my thing. <laughs> Stay tuned. Fast forward three minutes. Well, that reminds me real quick. I don't mean to interrupt, but that reminds me of a comment. I think they were commenting on something from Grown Up Rock. And somebody goes, how can Sonny Pooney be so right on Grown Up Rock and always so wrong on Shout It Out Loudcast ARC? Tom, that is so easy to fucking tell you why. Oh, I know. Why. Because Stephen is so horrendous over there that Sonny looks right. That's what it is. So that's more a comment on his partner. Nah, just kidding. We love you, uh, Stephen. Of course. Uh, Brad Rustoven started the episode on Wednesday. Just finished it. I think this just got posted this week. Um, Average about an hour per day. Uh, I got to agree with Don's assessment of the album from Popoff's book. It's too long and there's too much filler. Underlocking key is better, more concise album. In my opinion, Michael Wagner's co-production also gives it a leg up. Got to disagree with you, Zeus. Pilsen doesn't always look cool. See the Breaking the Chains video. Yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, that's that's when he had the tight curls. That's that's, that's early dog. And they're walking, of course, walking down a hallway again. Um, (laughs) Here we go. Sonny's comment at approximately the three hour, 15 minute, 33 (laughs) second mark. That wasn't a goodbye at that point. No, no, that was halfway through. <laughs> we were just getting started with the track listing. Then. <laughs> That's a bold statement. Challenge accepted. Here's a track list from only Dawkins, Don Solo, and Lynch Mob albums post 87. I went with 13 songs to match back for the attack. I'll, I'll read this real quick. Wicked Sensation, Tangled in the Web, Matt, Mattis uh, Hatter. Heart of Stone, River of Love, Dream Until Tomorrow. Standing on the outside, The Secret, I think it's The Fascist, No Bed of Roses, 1,000 Miles, My Kind of Healer, and Today. You know any of those? Four of those songs. Yeah, four of those songs are good. What he was trying to do, so what I had said was, everything after Back for the Attack, you couldn't come up with 13 songs that are better. Then the actual back for the attack and Brad epic fail, <laughs> epic fail wow. of enormous proportions. Epic fail. All right. Yeah, the, yeah, the lynch mob songs are good, but yeah. <laughs> uh, Kevin Jepson, Jesus H Christ guys took me three days to listen. <laughs> LOL. Too many one liners to go over, but I got to say, Tony was a nice addition. And he is spot on about Tom's audible gasp. It's the best. Love, love, love this record. No complaints. Great episode. That's Bill actually, he, he should actually get credit. It only took him three days to listen to the episode. That might be the quickest that anybody yeah. got through it. I agree. Uh, Bill Algy, great record. Adam Nickmeyer. Whether they're a second-rate Quiet Riot, a second-rate Rat, a second-rate Crew, second-rate Bon Jovi, or second-rate Maiden. 
They've always been second rate. As no. far as the vocalists go, certainly the worst of the era. Dude, is this guy listening to Poison? Uh, second rate Quiet Riot. Yeah, that's brutal. <laughs> oh, that's, that's brutal. That's bad. That's restrained. You guys have. <laughs> you guys. And that that's up. why we're not doing a that's review oh, for restraint. That's exactly why. <laughs> Edit that out. <laughs> you set that up on a platter. And I love Tony and restraint. Just as we do, of course. Just kidding, Tony. Uh, a good but not great hair metal band. Also, it was Sunni. Like uh, Sunni Muslim is written here, I assume, Sonny, um, who stated that his best lead song of the era, Metal Health, Welcome to the Jungle, Still the Night, Lay Your Hands on Me, Shout at the Devil, Devil, Dr. Feelgood, Hell's Bell, Thunderstruck, Aces High, Electric Eye, uh, just to name a few. Dawkin is not in the same league song-wise as any of these. Uh, Maybe if they had more talented and charismatic singer, and were called Lynch Mob from the beginning, they might have been a bigger band. C minus grade for me. Ooh, interesting. Ooh. Okay. Yeah, okay. that is pretty tough. Um, all right. And then somebody's hawking a kiss box set here, Tom. <laughs> you can buy from Australia. Okay. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Raymond Gallus. I want to thank you guys for allowing me the opportunity to listen in and give Doc a fair shake. I've historically been dismissive of the band. One uh, only really hearing a few songs. I've essentially classified them in the wannabe category and never gave them a chance. I've always loved the uh, shout out loudcast kiss album reviews. The ARC hotel California review was just a great exercise in listening and discerning As- Unfortunately, aside from the new appreciation for George Lynch and high praise for the backup vocal strength of Greg Pilson. I think that's Jeff. I still find docking to be nothing special. The lyrics are prosaic and sadly predictable, tired and boring. There seems to be no effort in writing a great song. Musically, Lynch carried a very below average band to the heights of mediocrity. It's never a good sign when the instrumental is the only good song on the album. But then again, thanks for the entertainment, a chance to listen to something I actually initially ignored. Dude, I'm sorry. Kiss, uh, Kiss of Death is a great song. I think we're starting to get a peek behind the curtain about what we said about why Dawkins was never huge. Apparently, there's a lot more of these kinds of people than we thought. Yeah, Don's voice. It's just he's not charismatic lead singer. Yeah, no, he's not. All right. And this is where I'm talking about, like, them going out and playing live. Remember how I said, like, there's the album thing for me and then there's a live connection? Yes. I think what we're seeing here is. The live connection didn't really take it over the top for some of these guys. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, but the charisma, like you're only not going to see that live on the videos. He's kind of fine. He's holding his hat half the time, but you know what I mean? Like (laughs) you can't really gauge the charisma from the videos. Yeah, no, I got you. Yeah. Uh, Sneed Rock. I'm going to read his main comment because I'm not going to read the 50 comments from Tony and him going back and forth. (laughs) Um, Sneed Rock. Okay, so I'm partway through and want to mention some things. Zeus, and he calls me Adefomu, which means my brother, not only was Crazy Nights going to be Who Dares Wins. Yeah, I had that. But they were also toying with calling it Condom Nation. Yep. Uh, this was there's actually reported. A, there's, a, there's actually a bootleg of that with that title. Yeah. There was. Uh, this was reported in Metal Edge at the time, which I had purchased, about Doc and not becoming bigger. It came down to Don in his pompous attitude like he said the lyrics vocals were too pop for mass appeal in the metal world 
I love Dawkins, but I remember many people I thought his vocal delivery was a bit limp compared to the chugging guitar riffs. Also, Tom, you're right about Don being too. Ooh, <laughs> that's become a thing now. People know what we're talking about. <laughs> LOL. I remember having a hit parader back in the day and we're asking rockers what they liked in women. And I remember Ozzy saying, nice tits, nice ass. <laughs> and when they asked Dawkins, Don said, I'm not like other guys. I'm a romantic. Ugh. Barf. I was like, it was crap like this that made me think, what a douche back in the day. <laughs> and I was always Team George. As for not having a ballad, they had Alone Again, which was pretty big from what I remember. It didn't chart if, as far as I remember, right? I don't I think, think so. I'm not sure if it did. It was I'm not sure. Barely. Yeah. yeah. Pooney. That nasal deliver Don does is probably why the Scorpions asked him to help out when Klaus had vocal cord surgery. Klaus does that nasal scream all the time. Edit after fishing, finishing the episode. So he had some more stuff he wanted to add. Overall, this was a great episode talking about a great album. I love this record, but I always felt it was too long. Like Tom said, you felt like you heard some riffs before by the end of side two. But like Tony said, what songs do you cut? Nothing was terrible enough. As for the segment on Anthrax bashing Dawkins, the thrash band that was the worst for bashing hard rock melodic rock bands was Exodus. And even Gary Holt had gone on record saying that despite what they said about glam and hair bands, they were learning solos and techniques from George Lynch. George's talent is undeniable. Great job to all you guys. Nice. Reason we didn't talk about Exodus. Is they're all working at the In and Out Burger down the street? Yeah, ex- I was just gonna say and nobody knows who the fuck they are. Yeah, <laughs> a- a- Exodus shitting on Dawkins. <clears throat> Relax. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, I mean, I could throw a restraint joke in here, but I'm not. You guys open up a can. Of, you guys open up a can of worms. <laughs> Poor Tony. God yeah. damn, he's gonna need a friggin'. <laughs> I love Tony though. Of course love, we do. Of course we, we love Tony. And we love his fucking restrained music. But it's funny because he went on and on about the fucking guitar, Mr. Scary, whether it's the skeleton thing, him and Steed Rock were going back and forth. So Tony was all over this episode. Uh let's go over to Loud Casters. Brian Cruzell, Dream Warriors and Mr. Scary a badass. Love Lynch's guitar playing. Feel like he's never getting mentioned with best guitar plays of the 80s, like Slash or Eddie Van Halen. He is for our music, but he isn't in, I would say, popular music, right? Yes, right. Right? Um, Yeah, and he also didn't cross over and go do a solo with Lenny or go do a solo with Mike or, you know, those kind of things. Like, if he would have done something with Prince, his name would have been known. Yeah, like if uh, Janet Jackson needed a great guitar solo, here's so-and-so, come on, yeah. Uh, Michael Murphy. I'm hoping the guys do a deep dive into what's so wild about wild Mick Brown. (laughs) (laughs) Annoying. Uh, Paul Heater. I owned four or five Dawkins albums back in the day and really loved Lynch's guitar playing. On the flip side, something about Don singing never worked for me. Wow. Two never blended well, in my opinion. The vocals in the car were pulling in different directions. The former more poppy in tone, the later more heavy, the latter more heavy. If Dawkins could have been more on together on stage and on record, maybe they could have become a bigger band. Sounds like a theme, huh? No shit. I'm surprised. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. Craig Moran, I actually preferred Don's Up from the Ashes 1990 solo album over any Dawkins album. Wow. Steven Wood put a picture of that Kaja Gugu moron up. 
Mike Murphy also added, anybody else had to really run home and shower after Tom described 18-year-old Patricia Arquette as greasy and vulnerable. (laughs) I forgot about that. (laughs) Great and a creeptastic episode. I forgot about that. Holy shit. Daniel Peoples, still listening to this monster of an episode and don't have my slot pick where this album ranks. Here's some initial thoughts. This is one document that I've been able to get into. I remember trading the Black Crow's Southern Harmony tape to a buddy for this back in ninth or 10th grade, solely based on the cover and the band logo. Most of what you like is on the first half. Kiss of Death is amazing. Mr. Scary still blows my mind. I'm still in awe of the it's now or never vocals in Night by Night. Uh, made me wish the guy was singing the whole album. Never been much of a fan of the Dawn fan. That was interesting to hear all of your reactions to that particular part. Do you guys think they had a chance to get the black album level? I'm not enough of a fan to see it. Of course, there are huge bands I don't like. I just don't think they had the songs or the ability to make singles that would catch on like that. I'm not sure if they were a band that you you had to be there for in the moment, but started listening after they were done. Never felt like there was any missed opportunities or what ifs. It might just be because I'm not into Dawkins' voice, but I find all the Lynch, Mason, Lynch, Logan albums more enjoyable, as well as the Dirty Shirley album. So apparently Dawn is my issue. George Lynch's Outpost OG Dawkins era has been amazing. A few misses for me, but the one that hit hard, am I right? The hook rocks. I don't know. Hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. See the levels. Metallica is still selling out stadiums. So that that's kind of tough, right? Yeah. Uh, but I'm talking more about like the poison level. You can go mm-hmm. sell out a theater when you want to. You can play arena with a coal headlining act. But what Dawkins doing right now is playing clubs and basically barely selling out there, if at all. Yep. I think they had a shot at the poison level. I don't think they had a shot at the black album Metallica. Level. No. Well, See, maybe I, I don't maybe. think they had that at all because they're not they didn't they didn't have Brett Michaels. There's the difference. So take out Brett Michaels' look. Tell me another band that's kind of doing what Poison's doing from that era, where they're not big enough, but they're doing decent like that. Tesla, Tesla's mm-hmm. doing decent. But are they doing? They can sell out a theater. Are they doing? Tes- wait, Tesla. are they doing Poison level? Yeah, I think so. Here's an interesting double bill. Speaking of Tesla, my buddy just saw Leonard Skinner. Tesla opened up for them, which makes sense because Tesla has kind of like that that Southern rock, like hard rock vibe. So Tesla, I mean, they're touring with Leonard Skinner and they co-headline other tours or, you know, when they do like with Def Leppard or Ario Speedwagon, like those double, triple bills. So there's a lot of acoustic in Tesla. Yeah. Dawkin is not opening up for Leonard Skinner. No, 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 no no, no way. No, no. But Dawkin could open for. Alice Cooper, um, kind of like a hard rock metal le- legend. But I think uh, what we're seeing in these comments is a lot of people just don't like the aura of Dawkins, like the kind of the, the moody attitude of Dawn. And the, just the they just don't evoke like people want to listen to their music, but they don't want to see the band live. He's not a ca- charismatic lead singer. Exactly. Period. It's not. And, and, nope. and, he, and he's got a good voice. He had a good voice. I, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, let's wrap this up on YouTube. YouTube. Um, Mo Beerman. Wow. I stumbled across your show a few months ago and really enjoyed it. This album brings back many fond memories, and your review was highly entertaining. Mm-hmm. I was dating my then high school sweetheart when Burning Like a Flame was on MTV quite a bit, and we always laughed at the video. 
but it's still played at our wedding a few years later. <laughs> it still holds a place in my heart, even after losing her to cancer in 2010. Oh, shit. Oh, God almighty. Yeah. Thanks for the great show and keep up the good work. Well, I mean, obviously, condolences and everything, Mo. We, uh, shit. Of didn't, course. Uh, didn't see that coming when I was reading this. No. Uh, tip of the hat and God bless to your uh, late wife there, buddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter Staros never realized Dawkins is such a unique, underrated band. I never given them a chance before, but but I'm glad I heard them through you guys. Mm. And then Ace Man, love your album reviews. Kiss F. The Poison album with Jericho was top notch. <laughs> Wicked good podcast. More album reviews, please. Nice. And I'm going to leave the rest to you guys. All you. Uh- all right, let's fly through a couple emails. Sonny, you want to start with a few and then I'll then I'll wrap it up and then we'll get into Pearl Jam. Yeah, so we got one from Tony Smith. Um, this this was the band I took some time to warm up to. Burning Like a Flame was my introduction. I've seen them twice in the last three years in my area. And while it's true that Don does not sound like he did back in the day, he also doesn't try to. The band adjusts tuning and speed-wise to fit his vocal needs. I think he's just happy to be still out there regardless of any criticism. I enjoyed the shows I saw and hope to see them again when they come this way. On a lighter note, I hope you someday review the soundtrack from That Thing You Do. <laughs> oh, that ain't happening. All right. Holy wow. shit. Um, another email here from my brother Danny. Hey, fellas, just finished up the Docker review. Great job as always. Just want to say that it was awesome to have Tony on. Great to hear from an experienced guitarist that was actually spent some time with a band you were reviewing, which was funny because, like, Tony, what do you think about the guitar parts? Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so what do you think about that note that he hit? Like, what note? What note? Like, I, I don't, don't remember some, like, studious whatever. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, he said really great insights from him. And since he called me the better-looking Poonie brother, he obviously knows what he's talking about. And that's why he's banned. He's uh, banned you're, from you're this banned. podcast. Well, can we ban him from the kiss cruise? Cause Holy shit, we're all going to be together. All right. I got a couple emails too. So let's kind of fly through these. Uh, Jerry Blackwell. Great job, gentlemen. The four of you come off as lifelong friends. The chemistry is amazing. Heaven sent is definitely my favorite. Thank goodness. Zeus stopped singing. <laughs> That's it, Jerry. That's it. <laughs> Angelo Capasso. Way too funny. Clemenza. Get the papers. Get the papers. The ugly German girls. Holy shit, Tom, you need to do stand-up. The Dawkin review was like a background to you and Zeus's comedy improv shit. You don't hold back, and I love it. Maybe a tad too hard on Anthrax, but I get it. You made my day today with a smile never changed. Just speak from the heart. Thank you, Angelo. Uh, Now, wait, wait, wait. I do want to add one thing. That was Sonny that jumped on Anthrax. That wasn't me or you. And I'll do it again. Ah. Okay. Okay. Any day of the week. Bring it on. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Justin Steele. Great album. This episode was just as good as Zeus. I am right there with you on Dawkin. When I think Dawkin, I think about wanting to be George Lynch and how I could convince my parents to get me an ESP guitar. I also think about wearing out that Unchained the Night VHS when you said that I couldn't stop laughing. I love this album, but I always think of Under Lock and Key when I think Dawkin. But I probably play Tooth and Nail the most. Keep up the good work. Love the reviews. All right. I don't th- I think you read it too quickly, and I think he missed a comma. He wasn't saying the episode is just as good as Zeus. I think he was saying the episode, great album. The episode was just as good. Comma. Oh, Zeus. <laughs> Zeus. <laughs> so you don't think the episode was no. just as good as you? No. So like, <laughs> just as good. Comma. 
Zeus, I am right there with you on docking about see, wanting we, to be George Lynch because that's what I was talking about. See, we fly through these emails. You got to use punctuation or shit's not going to make sense. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, that's a nice way of saying it, but I don't think that's what he meant. And then we'll finish up with Kevin Carruthers. What's up, guys? Checked my podcast feed this morning and saw a new episode entitled Back for the Attack, and I got really excited. And then I noticed it was 17 hours long and chubbed up another inch. Thanks for all the hours of free entertainment. Quick question. What happens first? The Kiss Cruise or you two winning on a trivia episode? Oh, man. Yeah. Kiss Cruise. Kiss yeah. Cruise, definitely. Yeah. Kiss Cruise 2022 will happen before that. It's <laughs> probably true. Yeah, so there we go. Funny. So there we go with docking feedback. Thank you, everyone. Great stuff as Hold always. Hold on. We got some more comments. Tony's uh, arguing with somebody online still. <laughs> you want to go? <laughs> oh, Tony. Love, we it. love you, buddy. We love you. Um, all right. Let's switch on over. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Literally, like, the band and the type of music that literally pushed docking in their bands off the stage yep. they're doing it again but on our show correct yep so um this is tom's pick much to sunny's uh chagrin there i can see him like look at him um tom you want to tell us 
how would how, how did we get to the point that you picked Pearl Jam 10? Okay. So <clears throat> Pearl Jam is one of my all-time bands here. Um, and I know Sonny is not a big fan of them, but that's okay. Sometimes, you know, maybe he'll open up his ears, jackass, and they'll freaking discover how great they are. Uh, but it was also, I was thinking of what I wanted to pick, and I'm like, okay, we haven't done Pearl Jam. It was also in um, last month, uh, in uh, the end of August, it was the 30th anniversary of the album. So I kind of dawned on me to let, let's let's get into the into Pearl Jam here. So this album goes back uh, to the very day it was released, and I picked it up while I was working that summer of 91. It came out at the end of August 91, and I had a summer job working in Cambridge. And anybody that's from the New England area, there's these things called the Coop. Harvard University oh. has one, and M- MIT has one. Because I used to, mm-hmm. my my mom worked at MIT in like the you know accounting department, and they always used to hire kids of employees. So me and a bunch of other teenagers worked there in the summer. We used to go to the MIT Coop, and they had like a huge CD section. And a girl I was working with, who coincidentally was a year ahead of us at Stonehill, was talking about how this band Pearl Jam was coming out with this album. I'm like, oh, all right, I'll get it. So I got it right before I moved into Stonehill. I still had that original CD from 91. And from the minute I bought it back in 91 until today, I still listen to this album. It never, ever, ever. I've never waned on Pearl Jam. Never has left my rotation. Um, There are certain albums in the Pearl Jam discography that I like better than others. Um, But to me, I picked this album, A, because it's their first album. And And for me, I think... The reason I like it is a lot of reasons why people don't like it as their favorite. And that's because it's a straight ahead, hard rock, guitar driven rock style album. They didn't really start to turn into Pearl Jam until around album two and then really into album three when they became more alternative with some grunge kind of experimental stuff. The first album here, straight guitar rock, hooky, melodic, great choruses, great solos. Not really a grunge album. You see a lot of reviews. People call it like a classic rock style album, but it is it is considered grunge because it's Pearl Jam when it came out. So all those things, um, I just really wanted to get into Pearl Jam. We've touched on all the other big ones. We've done Alice in Chains. We've done Soundgarden. We've done the single soundtrack. So it's time for Pearl Jam, and uh, and here we go, and I'm excited to get into it. Sonny, are you awake? It reminds me of a line. Oh, here we go. <laughs> everything Tommy just said is complete shit. Thank you. (laughs) Remember that was from my cousin Vinny. Yeah. Everything that guy said is bullshit. (laughs) Yep. Then he just, then he just Um, sits down. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, All right. So you got to keep in mind, I'm in my early twenties at this point, by the time this album comes out, first time I heard anything um, that connects to Pearl jam was really temple of dog. Right. Because that, single was out there and i remember thinking i'm like i haven't really listened to some of this other stuff that's not really hair metal and i remember going man okay you got two singers there one is absolutely awesome the other one's interesting this is all i could kind of think about so i had left target by the time this had come out because i had a stint where i was gone for about 12 months and then went back and finished off my 14-year career but um, when I left Target, I worked at a record store, the Warehouse Records, and I got this at a, as a free promo. I remember just throwing it in the box at home, and then the video started airing on MTV, and Jeremy video was probably the one that got me interested. So I'm like, all right, let me give this thing a shot. 
So I throw it in my CD player in the car. I'm probably sitting in traffic somewhere. I'm about as sober as I got at that point in time. Probably not completely sober. And I remember not liking it. And I'm like, well, maybe I was pissed off at the traffic. So a couple of weeks later, I'm at home, fifth of, fifth of jack in one hand, put it in the home stereo. And I'll save the rest for the track by track. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So there you go. All right. So Pearl Jam for me, uh, I was still cranking the Dawkins and Skid Rose going in Stonehill. So we were, uh, we graduated 1991 summer, uh, fall 1991. We're going into the dorm. Uh, I'm blasting Skid Row's monkey business because I thought that was what was cool, blasting it from my room. Um, I like the whole grunge thing. I heard it in passing a little bit. And that was Nirvana. I had a friend that I played hockey with in high school. His girlfriend was going to Stonehill and she was she loved the same music as I did. She loved Use Your Illusion one and two. And anytime I would see my friend. I went to high school with Richie and his girlfriend. We'd always pl- blast like this type of music, especially like Guns N' Roses stuff. She was the one who got me like, it's like, oh, you got to hear this. And it was Nirvana. She was the one who pushed that on me. And I was like, fuck, awesome, incredible. This is insane. By the time the summer came around, I'll explain it like this. The previous summer I'm graduating, we're all going to college. That summer with high school friends, I remember being in a Jeep and somebody was blasting unskinny bop. Oof. Like, you know, with the bass and stuff, it was pretty cool on the Jeep. We're all walking around looking for girls. We're blasting that. We all come back the next year from college. We go to a party. And it's the first time I'm hanging out with my high school friends at a party. Pearl Jam 10 is on non-fucking-stop the whole party, playing loud. And I remember a couple Westfield State buddy of mine from Arlington we're like, oh, this is the band Pearl Jam, Pearl Jam. I'm like, what the fuck? You know, this sounds pretty good. And then I remember seeing even flow and listen to him like, what is this fucking guy saying? This guy's insane. This looks like how I felt when I first heard Guns N' Roses. And I first went out and bought it as like, and nobody knew who they were. And I'm listening to, and I'm listening to Welcome the Jungle. And I'm listening to um, It's So Easy, like, Holy shit, this is so different. The way they're singing, the way the music is different from all the pop metal shit that I was used to. Well, this was the same thing. Um, I felt, in my mind, Nirvana's um, Smells Like Teen Spirit was easier to pick up on. It was a catchier melody. It was poppier hook. If you you got to dig for that stuff, but that's in there. This was like straight rock, but like, it almost felt like a garage band rock, but it had a good groove to it and a good music. And I was like, this is the type of music I have to listen to and I will like it. Well, anyways, by the time we came back sophomore year, everybody had taken all the hair metal shit and moved it down the food chain. And all of a sudden Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Stone Temple Pilots, uh, Alice in Chains, all that shit was what was played and kiss. And Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. And that's what we were. So, oh, and hip hop and Dr. Yep. Dre's chronic and Snoop Dogg had taken up and stuff. That's where it went to. So for me, Pearl Jam was the second one that I got into, but I'll never forget showing up at that party in high school party and 
being like, there's something going on. This is playing the whole night. Yeah. Um, and that's what I got into Pearl Jam. I've seen them, I don't know, three, four times at least. Uh, I have all their albums. Um, the good thing about this is, too, what they get this got us into, and I know Tom will think, this is a time where we started getting CD singles. Yes. Because you'd start, and there was no real internet for us back then, but you would hear about bootleg shit. Oh, there's a song called Yellow Ledbetter out there. Oh, there's a song called this. There's a song called Even in His Youth on Nirvana but you got to go buy the, the CD single. So we're starting to buy CD singles to find all these footsteps, dirty Frank, all this shit, people coming in with bootleg shit with songs. You're like, Oh my God, it was so fucking exciting without the internet to dig this shit up and find it and be like, dude, this song's dirty. Frank is horrendous, but then you'd find yellow lead better. You'd be like, Oh my God, this is insane. Um, Great time, fond memories, and Pearl Jam is still like you know played all the time by me. Yeah, so it's funny because talking about how things spread and how you hear about things back when this came out ninety one, ninety two. You know, obviously, <clears throat> obviously, no internet. You know, and I remember so when when I moved into college, I moved in a little bit earlier than regular move in day because the fall I played football at Stonehill, so we usually moved in like about mm-hmm. a week before, and I remember. Per, the 10 had just come out, like literally just come out, but everybody was buying it. And you were hearing conversations like in the locker room or like with people talking about, yeah, Pearl Jam. Did you guys get 10? Have you heard Pearl Jam? And a lot of people be like, no, what is that? And another guy's like, oh my God, you, you got to get this album. Like you got to hear this song, you know, alive or whatever song it is. And, and then it just, it took on a life of its own. It was such an organic thing with music back then as opposed to is now with Twitter people talking and Facebook and satellite radio. Like you had to like work and listen to people to hear about what was going on. And great point with the CD singles. You used to go, we used to go to these, these CD shops. There was actually one near Stonehill. And I remember when we were juniors, mm-hmm. Ed, our buddy, Ed from college, massive Pearl Jam fan. We would go down into this place and they would have these bootleg CDs with all these unreleased tracks. And we're like, this yeah. song is amazing. Like you said, song like Wash or Footsteps or yep. a remix of Alive or something. And you would just collect them all. And and you just, everybody would like, you'd take, you'd take it back to your dorm, put it on and be like, oh my God, you got to listen to this. And I remember it was me, you, Ed, Jimmy. Jimmy. Yeah. We're yep. all into like Pearl Jam and the alternative shit. And we were really into music. And Ed would be in his room snapping his fingers to Pearl Jam. Oh, Remember yeah. that? Oh, like, yeah. Literally yeah. snapping his fingers like yep. fucking Tom Jones or something. Yep. In his room, like, yeah, listening to Black. His door would be open. You know, he had headphones on. You're like, dude, what the fuck are you snapping your fingers to? It's <laughs> like, oh, you want you want a, you want a soda or something? You, you I can. <laughs> He was from Rhode Island at that Rhode yeah. Island. You, I can call you. I can call you back if you want. You want if you want to go. You want a soda? We're gonna listen to ten over here. Yeah, we gotta listen to Poor Jam, dude. There's no <laughs> there's, there's no W in Pearl Jam, but anyway. But yeah, I think that's why that's why these these an album like this is so huge to Zeus and I because we started college right when grunge took off and then spent the next four years listening to it all. That's and thing. I still listen to it now. Still, but that's to it now the other time. thing, though, Tom. For us, and this is why we we love music and we love doing a podcast and talking about it to relive this. Mm-hmm. When you go to college and you find music and you have that camaraderie, 
where you can just hang out with buddies and shit and you walk to class and you'll hear it in someone's dorm room when you're walking through or you come back and at night before the party be drinking, you have somebody's playing music or then the party that's playing music. And the next day or you wake up with some fucking fat chick and you're like listening to the shit on play on yeah. over and over again. Like all these memories, all these things are happening. You didn't have that in high school, high school. You, you had your friends, you had sports, you'd listen to them on the school bus. You had your own individual shit. Maybe you would go into concerts back then. I really wasn't that much, but you had a little bit of that. College is where you really got into this shit. And that's how it worked for me and Tom. That's where the friendship and the love of music and this camaraderie came up. And that's how you can kind of have these something that you probably like more, but you're not as sentimental about it. Like this yeah. is sentimental to us, and that's why it shows. Sonny. That's why the eras matter, right? I'm yes. six years removed from high school and I'm in adulting phase. Yeah. Right? So this doesn't connect with me, but it all, you know, we talk about it on growing up rock all the time. It depends on what you were listening to when you were still basically impressionable, mm-hmm. right? You're trying to fit mm-hmm. in a little bit, and it's kind of what everybody's listening to. Well, shit for me, that's the mid eighties. Right. So it isn't this. Yeah, because nowadays we're, oh, you got to listen to fucking Drake or Ariana Grande. Like, yeah, no, yeah. now we're curmudgeons and we're like, fuck <laughs> you. I don't listen to them. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, that's how it becomes. You're so right. All that Dua Lipa song is pretty good. <laughs> oh, she's that amazing. We were listening to the other day. Amazing. Fucking horrendous. I don't know. Amazing. If, you, if, if you like pop music, it's impossible oh, to not love that album. Never listen to so any good. Of shit. Oh, now, now, garbage. Sonny, now, now I know I, I, we, we, we kind of know where you stand with Pearl Jam, but throughout their career, because as I mentioned briefly earlier, their discography and their musical styles, it, it, it's not that different. It's, it's not that different from Kiss or even something like Zeppelin, where they tried a bunch of different things. Then they had a few albums where they would come back to what made them popular. Then they'd kind of veer off and do something kind of weird and then come back. Was there ever any... Was there ever anything Pearl Jam related that that you tried or, or liked or got into at all? Because I will say right now, their most recent album, Gigaton, it's a it's a friggin' amazing album. Unfortunately, the two singles they released from it are the two worst songs on the album. So I don't know what they were thinking, but it's a it's a great like rock Pearl Jam album. They've had some swings and misses, and as much as I love the band, there's a there's a lot of stuff that I don't like, but a lot of stuff that I absolutely adore. Yeah, they're in the Cinderella and Rat vein for me. Okay. They had a shot at the first album. After that, it went downhill for me. And yep. same with Rat and same with Cinderella. Okay. Right? So, you know, we'll talk about this album track by track. But after this, I'm like, uh. and then every once in a while, you would see like Better Man or something like that come yeah. out. I'm like, okay, well, that was kind of what I heard before. So, meh. <laughs> right? And, I, and now I'm getting married and having yeah. kids and. You just, you know, for all of us that got kids and, you know, we're married or got married or are married or whatever, I'm on my second one. So I get it, but you know, trying to discover new music and new style of movies and blah, that doesn't happen when you're starting your relationships. It just doesn't, it might happen if that person bring, if the person that you're about to spend your life with brings in something that they absolutely love. And I can tell you. Nicole absolutely hates this shit. <laughs> really? So there was okay. no way this had a shot. She is. She was hip hop. She was old school R and B. This was. It was not this. 
Yeah, it's so, funny too because with Pearl Jam too, that's another reason why this band has always been a part of my life is because my, my my wife loves Pearl Jam too. She saw them, she actually saw them at the Garden when they only had two albums out, and it was actually one of the last concerts before they tore down the the last the the, the Boston Garden. It was in the spring of uh, of ninety four. She saw them they, after they had released verses. They hadn't even released their third album yet. Um, and that was back when their set list, like if you're a Pearl Jam fan, the set list was just, it was literally greatest hits. And it was just, it was just amazing. So we, we, we listen to Pearl Jam, like if we're in the car, I mean, Sirius XM has a Pearl Jam radio station, which I know, Sonny, you have that as part of your presets. I know you listen to that all the time. So <laughs> yeah, of course, <laughs> Sonny, I, uh, I chalk it up to this. I'm at a stage in my life where I don't want to have to like something. Oh, everyone's okay, listening to Pearl, it. right? <laughs> everyone's listening to Pearl Jam. You got to get into it. No, I don't. <laughs> like, where you you know, what I'm saying is that's where you got to. Like, like this is the popular music. Like, I'm okay with not liking this. I don't have to get into this. My life is still going to be fine. Not liking this type of music. That's how I am on anything after 1990s. I'll tell I'm you right okay. now, Zeus, you bring up a good point. I'll be I'll be completely honest with you. If I did not have satellite radio, there would be no way and no opportunity for me to even hear any new music, because the only reason I hear any new music is by just listening to satellite radio, scanning through my presets. I'm like, oh, because there's a there's a station called Octane. They play like yeah. new rock. But other, if I didn't have satellite radio, I would never. That's ever me. Listen. That's me. Yeah. And that's fine. I, that's fine. Yeah. 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 I would say 25 to probably about 42. I wasn't really letting any new music in. Yep. Right. Yep. I'm basically sticking with a plus that's the nineties and the two thousands. Right. So I don't right. know if the music that I love was really doing that well. Anyway, I like some of the boy bands, but that was about it. Yeah. As the kids became teenagers. So over the last like eight to 10 years, I'm back to like discovering music, but I'm going and seeking it out. I don't have series and the stuff I'm listening to right now isn't on that anyway. So yep. it doesn't matter to me, but uh, you know, some of the stuff from Sweden or from Italy or from, you know, other parts of the world are starting to connect with me because they're reminding me of the music that I loved in the eighties mm -hmm. and it's new. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's weird. You get this point in time if you have kids and you're starting to adult that when you're, getting closer to empty nest you go back to kind of okay i'm ready for some new things like you're open to yeah. some things you you two still aren't open to new things no that's not you true shit on everything i send to you no no that's not necessarily true that's not necessarily true let me explain it to you so for me it has to be part of my after the 90s it has to be part of my tree if it's not part of my music tree it doesn't yeah. come to me so what does that mean it means well, I never heard of Eminem. He wasn't out yet, but he was part of that Snoop Dr. Dre stuff. So I got yeah. it. Uh, I went, I just wrote this down. Garth Brooks from his, my nineties country music. He did a song with George Jones. I already heard of Johnny cash. All of a sudden I'm starting to listen to him. Waylon Jones. So I'm discovering new shit, but it's old shit, but I'm discovering it through my tree. And the last one I'll say is Nirvana. Well, Nirvana got me Foo Fighters. But if it's not in that genre and that tree, like, you know, if Dave Grohl doesn't create a new band with this guy, maybe I don't listen to it. So uh, something that comes out of the blue, I'm not picking up Limp Biscuit. Sorry, I'm just not. No one is. 
<laughs> but you but you get the point. Yeah. So like those are the things that you kind of grow out of. And then now what I find fun is to go backwards and find all the great music that people talk about in this show where all of a sudden, you know, I ha- I knew the, the hits from Iron Maiden, but Sonny brings out peace of mind mm-hmm. and I listen to it. Um, you know, I know hits from Metallica. You do load. Now I have a shuffle. It's the album review crew shuffle. I wish everybody out there would create a shuffle like that do and it. have all our episodes. And I play it all the time. And I'll be honest with you. The songs that I want to come up are the ones that you guys picked that I didn't pick. And they're not my favorite, but I want to hear the song some load. I want to hear the song some peace of mind because I, I, they're, they're newer to me and I like them. So it's, it's, that's how I discover it. So Iron Maiden, although they're not really new to me, I'll start getting into the discography. I'm waiting for you to pick another album from them or another older one from you, Tom, about Metallica. But to me, that's exciting. So that's my new music. That's how I come into it. Yeah, it's a good point, too, because another thing about new music is new music that is connected to the old music. And I guess our analogy would be Zeus, me and you. We bought tickets to see Jerry Cantrell in the spring. Jerry Cantrell has a brand new solo album coming out. For those that aren't aware of the 90s grunge, Alice in Chains, he's the mastermind behind Alice in Chains. Amazing guitarist, lyricist, etc. It's not Alice in Chains, but it's new music. And, and it's exciting to us because it's new music. It's Jerry Cantrell, but it still has that connective tissue to the 90s grunge, Alice in Chains that we love. So, yeah, OK, is it new music? Yes. But it's, it's, it's not Alice in Chains, but it's something that kind of gets us excited to hear something new because it's different, but it's still connected to the stuff that we grew up loving. Yeah. And you also can go back. And another one of those is, you know, someone listens to Pearl Jam now or this episode and they're like, yeah, you know what? I'll give them a try. But they also might take a step back and go, I'll go back to Mother Love Bone. I'll go back to Green River. Yep. All of a sudden, who else did they influence? Oh, the Melvins or... Or uh, what's the other one there with Mark Arm that I'm thinking of? I'm losing it. Oh, Mud Honey, Mud Hunty, Mud Honey, yep. or Sonic Youth or something. You you can start going around because then you start looking at that period. And you're like, well, I like that sound, and they say they were influenced by this, and then this guy makes an appearance on this album. So let me get his album that people are saying are good. You start listening to it, and you're like, fuck, I just found a new band. Yep. Yep. There you go. Or, or, or a whole new family of bands. Yep. Yeah. I actually tried Mother Love Bone. So when I was listening to this album, I'm like, okay, I need to hear where it started. Mm-hmm. Right. So I went and listened different. to that album a couple of times. Well, you already, hate Crown, you already hate Chloe Dancer, Crown of Thorns. Oh, yeah. Singers. I skipped that song. I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah, that shitty song. But there was, I heard a lot of L.A. Guns in Mother Love Bone. It's a lot, it's a lot more metal-y, like hair it's, metal-ish. Than it's this. a sleaze metal a little bit. Yeah. Andrew Wood was very, very glam-influenced. And if that's yeah. what, if Mother Love Bone, if he didn't pass away, that band would have been a monster. Yeah, he's got com- that Axel thing kind of in between they, yeah. there, Phil they, Lewis shit. They combine, they combine a lot of elements of the Seattle grunge, but with some glammy sleaze stuff. It, it would have been amazing. It would have been amazing. We're going to get into that. But before we do, don't let, let's talk about the cover of the album and then let's kind of backtrack into like the history because we're, we're we're veering off into the green river mother love bone but let's let's take let's spend a few minutes like we always do talking about the cover um so i'll, I'll start my pick so the cover uh i'm holding up the vinyl here i got two versions of it i got the standard edition vinyl with the standard purple everybody with the hands up one for all 
Um, when you have the CD, you open, you pull out the, uh, it folds out into the poster of what we're holding up now. Um, it's an iconic cover for people like Zeus and I, that, 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 that real powerful pinkish purple reddish color, the band all standing together with their hands raised, doing the one for all. Um, and behind them is a cutout of the band's name, uh, Pearl Jam, which is actually funny because it's actually a life-size wood cutout that was made by Jeff Ament. Uh, and he said that the concept was really about being together as a group and entering the world as a band, sort of an all for one type of thing. Um, and the back cover just has a, a little bit more of a close up of the words Pearl Jam. Um, before we get into the inside liner notes and stuff, what do you guys think of the, of the cover, the, the colors? I think it kind of pops. I mean, it's, it's a big deal to me because of the, how I think of the album. Sonny, what do you think of, of, of the cover? Yeah, I think the colors pop. Is it Dave that we can barely see? Is that who the the? Because you can't see Eddie's face at all. But is it Dave that's in the back that you can barely barely see? Oh, which are the, which are the three drummers on this fucking considered album? Yeah, mean? exactly. It's yeah. All, one for all, except for the drummers. We've had three in the last year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because because if you look at it from left to right, you got you got Stone. Then I think you got Mike, Eddie, and Je- uh, or am I missing? Mike and Jeff, dude, I can't remember. Dude, but the dr- the drummers in the back, who you can't, who you can't see. Left yeah, you to can't right, really see. left to right, you got you got Jeff, Mike. That's Mike, Mike with the that's stupid, Mike McCready with the right. stupid beret. Yep. Then you yeah, yeah, with the, the Richie Sambora hat. Yeah. Yep. Then you got, I think that's Eddie. You mean the shorts and the tights underneath? Yeah, plus, yeah, yeah, that's plus, Eddie. Yeah, plus Zeus, the think, leggings. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I don't think Eddie's has that nice of an ass. <laughs> male, male. I don't know what the grunge thing was about. Males wearing fucking leggings. It was bad. It was a oh bad. And there's no way Eddie's wearing that flower print shirt. No, no, no. And and if you and if you watch some of the videos, that's um, that's see now I'm, now I'm losing my mind about Stone and Jeff. But that that's Eddie with the head down with the shorts, I think. And then the drummer's yeah. in the back because he's freaking kicked out of the band anyway. Yeah. So that and it's means- Jeff that's on his tippy toes, right? Yes, that's Jeff. Yes, yeah. he he's the easiest one to spot besides Eddie. Yeah, this is so you still can't see the drummer, but they're not in the same order. Yeah, because no. okay, after, after we recorded this, he was bounced, so it doesn't matter, or he quit. However, you want to look at it. So, and then and then uh, are we are we are we done doing the the X's and O's play by play of the photo shoot? <laughs> I hope so, because because then because then you then you open up the liner notes and you get some crazy artwork with all the lyrics to the songs. Uh, with all the credits, the thanks, you know, uh, and it's the, not all the lyrics. No, some of the songs, which have, I thought was interesting. Some of the songs have all the lyrics. So you look at like a song like Even Flow, it, pretty, it just has the chorus. Get used yeah. to it, Sonny. That's what Pearl Jam does with all their shit. Half yeah. lyrics, lyrics on song, oh, yeah. lyrics on yeah. uh, like yeah. little sneak peeks about shit. Yep. And uh, I like yeah. it. I like in the thanks section there, they thank Matt Cameron, who features prominently into the future of Pearl Jam becomes their drummer. Uh, Chris Cornell, Allison Chains, the uh, Cameron Crow, and the entire singles crew. Susan Silver, which was Cornell's wife, yep. and manager for all these bands. Yep. Yeah, and then you got then you got all the credits and everything. So uh, it's it's kind of an iconic thing. It's a it's a little bit of a different experience because I'm seeing Sonny open up the CD and Zeus open up the CD. It's a little bit kind of like the old school thing. I'm just I just got the the, the vinyl, so it's just all one big thing for me. And I also have the other version of the vinyl when they did the 10 Redux, where it includes the standard mix of the album, along with Brendan O'Brien's remix, which is very different. It's not bad. It's not good. Very different. Uh, but we'll we'll save that for maybe maybe when we do Pearl Jam 10 again, Sonny, we'll save that. How's that sound? 
Yeah, sure. That, that sounds great. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about Pearl Jam before we get into the uh, album facts. Yeah, and the history of Pearl Jam could be its its own episode. So we'll try to we'll try to sum it up. So for anybody that's not a fan of Pearl Jam, you probably don't know the story. If you are a fan of Pearl Jam, you're familiar with it. Um, Stone Gossard and Jeff Ament were in a band called Green River, which is one of the like proto grunge bands. Uh, that band kind of fell apart in the late '80s, and then Jeff and Stone got together with a band called Mother Love Bone. Which, if you're familiar with Pearl Jam and grunge, you you know who Mother Love Bone is. Um, that band was kind of on a course that a lot of people think for stardom. They've released an album. They have a song on the single soundtrack. They have a very unique sound, kind of like we were talking a little mix of grunge and glam, things like that. Andrew Wood was a standout frontman, but unfortunately, he died of a drug overdose in 1990. Um, Gossard and um, Ament wanted to play together. They started hooking up with uh, Mike McCready, who was a guitar player from Seattle. The band he was in broke up. So the three of them got together. They started recording some demos uh, with the drummer for Soundgarden, Matt Cameron, who would feature prominently in the future of Pearl Jam, become their drummer. Uh, They recorded a bunch of demos, put them together. Uh, Eddie Vedder, who was out in San Diego and was kind of a surfer dude. Uh, He was friends with the drummer for uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, who was Jack Irons, who would feature prominently in Pearl Jam as a drummer. He got a copy of the demo, started looking at the song, started writing lyrics, got back to uh, Gossard and Ament. They liked what they heard. They flew him over to Seattle for an audition. Next thing you know, he was rehearsed with the band. They wrote 11 songs. He was hired as the singer. The group signs to Epic Records. And that's kind of a summary of the history of Pearl Jam and where they became before they started really taking off as a career. So you got a lot of uh, grunge DNA here from Green River to Mother Love Bone, some connections to Soundgarden, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, the rest is Pearl Jam history. Yeah. In the middle of all this stuff, too, before they even really take off yep. there, uh, they get put into a movie uh, mm-hmm. like it's all the movies, the soundtrack, the the. The, the movie themselves, the band is forming during this time. Yep. It's like they're not even really a band yet. Uh, they went through name changes. They were going to be called Mookie Blaylock after the basketball star player back then. Yep. Um, they also at the time, uh, you know, you got Eddie jumping in for the tribute album, which comes out before for Andrew Wood, who comes in and sings one of the songs, which everyone knows, Hunger Strike. Uh, on the tribute album, which was called Temple of the Dog, uh, with a couple of the guys from Pearl Jam and um, uh, Soundgarden. So you got all this stuff happening. Well, anyways, we'll get through it when we talk about the tracks, about which ones formed, uh, you know, which ones they wrote and which ones are part of that demo, which was like the five songs and uh, which was called literally Stone Gossard Demos 1991 and uh, and how that basically formed. And they got 10. But uh, let's talk about 10 itself. Uh, 10 was released August 27th, 1991, produced by Pearl Jam and Rick Parisher. Now, that's the guy that funded, uh, founded London Bridges Studio, which is extremely, extremely iconic. Yes, yep. I use the word iconic in Seattle. Do you know what it means? Yes. Uh, <laughs> in Seattle. It, the studio. Okay. It's very famous. He also produced temple, of the dog 
Alice and Jane Sapp, Blind Melon's debut. And he did have a nice day from Bon Jovi. That's just a rare one. Um, Unfortunately, the guy died at 50. I didn't realize that. Um, And so regardless, uh, it was released August 27, 1991. It never made it to number one. It made it to number two. It sold over 13 million albums. Um, It is... uh, it is considered on, I don't know how many charts or I don't know if you have that Tom, like how many greatest or top 100 or top 500 albums, things like that. It's on like most uh, every list, the nineties, uh, hard rock, guitar, rock grunge, you name it. It's on it. Um, it's got a legendary status. This album, it is their biggest album seller. Uh, and, uh, We'll get into the tracks, but anything else you want to add? Yeah, Guitar World has it ranked 15th on the 100 greatest guitar albums of all time. Um, Here's one that will really get people's uh, panties in a bunch. Rolling Stone has it ranked number one as the 10 greatest debut albums of all time. And we've uh, said over and over, Rolling Stone doesn't have a f- fucking clue what they're talking about. So yeah, and now now it's funny. Yeah, that's it. because uh, N- Nevermind was uh, their second album. But they, they, go ahead. They have it. They have it ranked number one on the ten greatest debut albums of all time. But then they turn around and have it ranked two oh nine out of the five hundred greatest albums of all time. Okay, that's the same Rolling Stone. Um, Spin has it on. This isn't. This is. This might be the most egregious ranking here. The top 90 albums of the 90s, Spin has it as 33. So Spin's going to tell me that there are 32 albums from the 90s better than 10. Fuck off right now, Spin. They're horrible. Yeah. Did you hear uh, Warren's eighth album? It came out in 1997. That's right. Oh, yeah. Tora, Tora's third album. Oh, Jesus Christ. Please stop. <laughs> Please stop. Please stop. Please stop. <laughs> Ari, I already have all my hairband references in my notes, so I'll get to them. And then, and then one thing, one because people always talk about the band names. So there's a couple of different stories going around about how they got Pearl Jam. There's actually, it's kind of like a rumor or kind of like an urban legend that the that the band claimed at the time that Eddie Vedder's great grandmother named Pearl made a hallucinogenic type of jam that people would eat and get high. But that's that's that that's neither here nor there whether that's been proven or not. But you're right, Mookie Blaylock for some unknown reason was going to be their band name, which is why the album is named Ten. Because that was Mookie's number. Because there are 11 tracks. Exactly. They would have had to change their band name later because Mookie's career and the rest of his life didn't end that great. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. (laughs) Seven DUIs later. Yes. Yeah. Not not good. Not good. (laughs) Once upon a time, he could control himself. Put it that way. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that note, are you guys ready to get into the tracks eight hours later? Uh, I'm ready. And I th- actually, I think this is a, actually a pretty quick segue into the tracks <laughs> compared to some of the other albums. Let's do right. it. All right. Let's go.
Okay, so once. You got to remember, when I got this album as a promo, somebody hands it to me and says, hey, this is one of the Temple of the Dog Singers. So I put it on. And I'm like, oh, shit, this isn't the good singer. This is the (laughs) other guy, right? So this is like a cup of an Oreo shake that you think has an Oreo shake in it. You take a big old sip, and it's like unmixed tank. Like, it it just, I remember the first time I heard him, oh, no, this guy. As soon as this song starts, uh, I'm like, I am not going to like this album because they waste 45 seconds. And then, honestly, it just got worse because I just do not like Eddie's voice. I don't like Eddie's voice. And, of course, it's got to be right out of the gate. You got to talk about a serial serial killer and, you know, just wonderful, right? I'm telling you, if it wasn't for the guitar solo, if it wasn't for the drum parts and the drum accents that are happening, this thing chucks right out the window immediately. (laughs) I can get, I can understand why kids got hooked. Because there is a little bit of crazy, a little bit of rebel, a little bit of uncontrolled. There's a lot of emotion. But for me, hard pass. This song is a very tough listen for me. Wow. So we're starting out with me already being speechless where I was giving Sonny the benefit of the doubt that (laughs) lyrically he could put that aside. But at least musically, the song fucking roars. I mean, it's got a it comes right out of the gate. It's got that intro. So the album starts with a, with a thing called Master and Slave. It, it, it introduces once, and then at the end of the album, it's the outro after release. Um, but it kicks right into gear. And, and, and to me, this is going to be a, a, a tough one for Sonny to get through if he's already starting out hating on once, because the song's got a vicious guitar solo. It's got, it's got a great chorus. Um, you know, another, another like kind of soaring chorus. And Sonny was right. So you know, do we want to want to let Zeus have his comments, and then we can then we can kind of talk about what what Pearl Jam refers to as the Mama San trilogy, which is which is once is kind of right in the middle of that. So, Zeus, thoughts on once, and then we can kind of break down that that fabled thing from Pearl Jam. Okay, so first thing I got to say is again, I'm not going to repeat it because Eddie Vedder wrote all the lyrics, so I don't yeah. have to say once written by Eddie Vedder to every song, Eddie, every song he wrote all the lyrics. Yep. Okay. Now. They do uh, delineate who wrote the music for every song. Yes. So, and I usually don't see that stuff, but on one stone, Gossard is the only one who's credited with the music and Eddie Vedder wrote the lyrics. And this is part of the five song stone Gossard uh, demo called the stone Gossard demos 91 when they were looking for a singer and drummer. This one was called Egyptian crave Mm -hmm. that he had done in 1990. Uh, Eddie went surfing, put some lyrics to it, mailed it back to the band. The song is the middle part of the trilogy, which Tom talked about. And I'll let Tom get into that, which is called Mama Son. Uh, the first is Alive. The last is Footsteps in this trilogy. It's basically a guy's uh, descent into madness, leading him to be a serial killer, which I like, which when you start reading into the stuff is the small little parts where I didn't realize he was, you know, whispering shit in that oh, yeah. part. Yes. You, th- you think I got my eyes closed, but I'm looking at you the whole fucking time. Yeah. So, yeah, I know Sonny doesn't like that kind of shit. Uh, the song is heavy. It builds. It makes you want to fucking bang your head. The lyrics are deep. This isn't cherry pie. Uh, the last couple lines before the chorus is so like, He's got a rhythmic thing with his voice that he does. 
You may not understand him, but he's got this thing. So there's something about it in the many songs that come along. You don't know what he's saying. And I'll, I'm going to bring up the, that part after I say this. But you follow along with it because it's just the rhyming that the way he sings in the delivery, you know, Indian summer. I hate the heat. I got a battery lover on the passenger seat. Like he's like that thing he does. It's addictive to me. It is. I fucking love it. I can't hear his mumbling, but I fucking get into it. And that mumbling, and this is something that was developed at Stonehill college and um, it's been labeled and we call it, the Joycey voice inside reference. <laughs> and Pearl Jam is filled with it. And there's some other stuff. There's some Stone Temple Pilot songs. They got it. There's a lot of it. And that's when you, you got this Rick Astley looking motherfucker. This kid lived with us at Stonehill. <laughs> Apparently, at some point, uh, he developed some sort of an ulcer and he couldn't live with us anymore. And he was a walking like. He was like the 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 shifter. What was his name? He was the sidler from Seinfeld who walked around with the <laughs> oh, tic tacs. Yeah, but he had like bottles of pills. Yeah, on him. So you hear the pills when he'd be walking. Yeah. Yep. And it was Joycey, and he had like he looked like Rick Astley, but he had the deepest voice, and he had glasses on. And he just seemed like a hall monitor. Hey, is any mixers going on this weekend? He looked like he looked like Rick Astley and Thomas Dolby. Yeah, Astley has a little deep voice too, though. Right, right, right. That's the point. That's the point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and it just and it's always like you got the hand up, like almost like saying, "Hey, that's a that's a little too much." And that's Eddie's voice. Eddie does this fucking the Joycey voice. So I have no idea what he's saying. Indian summer. I can't understand it, but I love the rhythm of it. Then when you read the lyrics, you're like, oh, wow, this fucking kicks. Uh, I don't know about you guys. Uh, for me, it's a great way to start off an album. Yeah, it's 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 high energy. It's passionate. And one of my favorite things I love about this, the end, the end of the song where it's like once upon a time I could control myself. And then at the end, he rages and he just says once upon a time I could love you. And he just screams it like you can. T- and that's one thing that I that that about Eddie, that you love him or hate him. And I feel like the thing that makes him a unique vocalist is that he's like a guy that is legitimately angry and upset and emotionally angst. And then it translates into his lyrics in his vocal performance. It's not fake or forced or pretend you're hearing somebody who is legitimately experiencing the emotions that he's singing. He's not like pretending because he wrote all these songs. He's so when channeling he's singing, when he's he's singing them, it's coming out of him. And I think that's what makes it believable. And again, this is one of the big problems that people have with grunge, Sonny in particular, is that it's not party music. It's not fuck me, suck me, kiss lyrics. It's deep, heavy, Here's unpleasant is, subject matter. And now it gets a lot of shit because it gets political. And yes. that is, this was early 90s white boy rage. Yes. And it's a political thing now where yeah. you can't have it or it seems racist or anything like that. But this was white. It, it spoke to a generation. This yeah. music. Kurt Cobain had that when he was singing his stuff. These guys had it. Allison Chains came out with it. Soundgarden. There's also all of a sudden they're talking about things that are not rosy 
They're talking about depression, suicide, uh, abuse, sexual assault, uh, parental alienation, uh, society, like things like, and they've got this anger about them. The one thing I can remember about Eddie Vedder and stuff was how much that like a guy, like our buddy, Jimmy would love it and always mention how much, because look at Eddie, look at him, look how fucking upset he's getting. Look at the veins going, look how easy, like that was his thing. That he loved seeing how Eddie would get into it. And when you picture him singing once, you could totally see him like channeling this fucking serial killers, like complaining about at one point he was a fucking normal human being, but now he's all fucked up and he's on a serial killer of rage and yep. all that other shit. So speaking of what we mentioned before, the Mama Son trilogy was a thing that the, so the songs are out of order on the album, but the trilogy to sum it up is the three songs alive which we're going to get to once. And then a song called footsteps, which was recorded during the 10 sessions, but was later found to be a B side. Um, it's an, that's an underrated track. So the story goes that uh, the trilogy goes that alive is the story of a man learning about the truth about his parents. Uh, we're going to get into that when we talk about alive. Then once is the story about that child growing up and turning that rage into him being a serial killer. And then the song footsteps is the story of that, middle-aged man now being an adult having his recollections on life and kind of facing the end of his life facing execution and dealing with his past and it was called the mama son trilogy so right off the bat you're dealing with stuff that's very very dark deep disturbing and unusual for a generation of kids who grew up listening to bon jovi poison and you know friggin' kiss so right off the bat you're dealing with a bunch of different things now the song footsteps that's a great song and we talked about Temple of the Dog before that song actually turned into a song called Times of Trouble, which ended up on the Temple of the Dog album. So uh, that that's kind of the story of that. Um, again, you know, dark, disturbing, not really party lyrics, but passionate, emotional and a massive transition from what everybody was listening to in the 80s. So that's the story behind once and kind of kicking it off with uh, some big time aggression there. And so Sonny doesn't have to suffer this much torture. Let's move to track number two.
So mentioning torture, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Even flow. I got to tell you, like the guitar riff. I like the guitar fills happening during the second verse. I like, I like the verses honestly better than the chorus. Having said that the chorus has grown on me over the years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, songs got a good groove. Uh, love the guitar solo that ends it. Um, I thought the lyrics were, uh, unique, right? Like the, you know, pillows made of concrete, the guy's a little nuts. You know, if I was homeless, I'd probably be a little nuts too. The breakdown thing doesn't really do a whole hell of a lot for me. I don't, I didn't need it. But then when you watch the video, it's like, okay, I can understand what they did in the video with it, but the video didn't exist when the song was written. Right. Right. So I get it. But, uh, except for the breakdown, the rest of the song, I think is, it's a good song to connect with the folks that are coming from the prior generation. Like this is the song that kind of pulls me in and goes, all right, you might want to listen to these guys. These guys might have something. Mm -hmm. And I think it's uh, Tommy, what you said before is it is really a rock album more than like a punk album. Like Nirvana immediately turned me off. Like I, two seconds in, I was done. Right. But here there's things that pull me in. And this is one of those songs. We'll save that. Yeah, even full. This is this is a this is a song where again I, I kind of take it as like it's just, this is not really like a grunge album. It's a guitar heavy rock album. Um, I love the riff of the song. I love the the vibe, and it's got kind of a groove. I, I'm I'm a fan of the chorus, but I can see where you where you are with the uh, with the verses. The only thing I like about the breakdown, I think the breakdown is cool because I like how everything kind of really simmers down. Everything kind of gets quiet. And then eventually it slowly builds back in and then it kicks right back into the chorus of even flow. Um, I, I mean, there's a reason why this song is, is kind of famous for the band and, and why it, when people talk about Pearl Jam, they, they know this song. It's very catchy. It's hooky for Pearl Jam. It's, it's, it's relatively melodic. Um, and I think it's a standout track for a reason. Even flow. Uh, the music was stone Gossard. Mm-hmm. It's the second single. It went up to number three for mainstream rock. Uh, Rolling Stone has his 77th greatest guitar song. VH1 had it number 30, 100's greatest hard rock song. And it's the fifth most played song of the decade. I have a feeling I know what number one is. Um, Guitars, guitars, guitars is what I put. Oh, yeah. Again, the, the rhythm and the melody and the joicy vocals. Even oh yeah, uh, is fantastic. The wording, then the I, I can't even again. How do you describe it? He he says one word. These are like grunge things. You know, you hear it on Alice Jane's Nirvana does it too. He says a word and then rambles a sentence. Says a word and rambles a sentence. Like the word is a line. Not yep. like you don't find that on stuff in in most other albums or music that he can stretch a syllable out to be like a whole line in, in this whole paragraph. It is so fucking addicting. And then like all that shit, it fucking picked. So I don't know what he's saying when I first heard this, but I'm like, I like what he's, I like the rhythm. I love the, I like his voice. I like what he's doing. Um, you know, the, the, um, the second Sonny already brought it up like the second stanza when he starts all of a sudden now everything he says McCready's filling it up with a guitar fill oh, it's yeah. fucking awesome yep. he is 
uh, Mike's guitar fills are fucking awesome. And then actually you hear, and because when I actually looked it up, because I didn't realize this, there's a little bit of a part where he says, fuck it up before yep. the solo. Yep. Now, uh, Jeff Ament says that the band never no- nailed this take. Whatever's on the album, I know there's different versions of this on other stuff. He said they did like 50 to 70 takes, I guess Mike McCready said. The alternative take, which is the video. Yes. The, the drummer that eventually joins the band for many years, David Bruzy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in 92, recorded the song when they did like the single stuff. They did the live version when they did the two songs for singles as well. So it wasn't, really wasn't on the 10 session. But anyways, it's a funky guitar riff by Stone. And McCready blames, like, he actually, I shouldn't say blames, but he says that it was kind of a ripoff of him trying to do Stevie Ray Vaughan. And he says that a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And I can kind of pick up where he's saying that tone and stuff that he has going on. Uh, the song's inspired by a homeless vet that Eddie knew that was named Eddie and was later found dead. Um, And this is the song that I first got me into Pearl Jam, the video and hearing it at the party in the summer of 92. Uh, This is what really blew up Pearl Jam for me. Yeah. I'm going to those guitar uh, fills. Sorry. 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 Nope. Go ahead, Sonny. So those guitar fills, you know, on the second verse, right. Um, I'm like, I noticed it. I'm like, wait a second, let me go back and listen to the first verse to see if they were there. And I thought it was ultra cool that it wasn't there. I'm like, oh man, I might have I must have missed those. How did I miss those? Because I don't usually miss those kind of earworms. And it was almost as if I kind of, you know, conjured up in my head, like Mike's like, oh, oh, oh wait, take 43. Hold on. I got an idea. <laughs> And I'm going to, I'm going to save my comments for, uh, McCready until we, until we get to the next song. Uh, but you're right. The version of even flow is that when I mentioned earlier about the redux double vinyl with the, uh, the whole album is remixed and reproduced or whatever you want to, whatever word you want to use by Brendan O'Brien. This is one song that's very different. If you kind of have an ear for that, where the, 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 the version that's on this album compared to the version that's used in the video and on the Brendan O'Brien remix, there's a bunch of little different things on that. Uh, particularly at the end of the other version of even flow and the song ends, you can hear Eddie mumbling a bunch of shit at the end of it. This one, you can't, the song just ends, but, but uh, yeah, that's even flow. So let's get to the video. Now I will say this. I like the video version better. I find it to be more raw. Well, the band, the band actually is on record as saying that they preferred the remixed version of this album, which is why they did 10 redux. Because they've been very critical of the of the, the 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 mixing and the engineering of this album, they said there's a little bit of uh, too much. It's too produced. There's too much reverb. It's too much of like a rock album. So I think that's why some of these other versions of the song exist. And you're right. A lot of people do like that video version of the song. Yeah, and this is not a studio, Josh. Turn off the lights. I love this the beginning. Fucking, this is a fucking rock concert, dude. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. You are so playing to the fucking camera. I love it. Oh, it's yeah. so aggravating. Josh. Yeah, where's yeah. Josh? Let's find him. <laughs> this poor guy. The video does what it's supposed to do for a generation on MTV. The video makes you want to go check these guys out if you have not heard or seen them live. There is an energy in the video, especially when he almost like looks like Okay, 
I'm done. And he just kind of falls into the crowd. Love it. Right. Like there's no reason why a 15 year old is not watching that video going, Oh my God, that must be an amazing concert to go to. Now I'm going to tell you something. I picked it up the other day when I was, uh, when I was watching the video, I'm like, there's something about Eddie. What is it that even makes me want to watch this video? And I'm like, Oh, his facial expressions are part auditioning for the Joker role. Yes. And part Jack black. Yes. Right. He's a combination of the two. It's when Jack Black's trying to be super silly. It's like the, I don't it's, know if he got that from Eddie or if Eddie got I don't know. It's the upside down smile that he does. There's another video yeah. later on that we're going to get into where he really shows off that face. This, yeah. 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 <laughs> so <laughs> aggravating, annoying. It's that ugly upside down smile. It's prevalent in all his videos. And I think that's his way of saying, like, look at me. I'm intense. Look at yeah. this. Look at my eyes. I'm really singing this. I mean this song. Yeah, but the difference is I don't think he's pretending. I think he's really got a fucking screw loose when he's singing these songs. Yeah, but when he does the yeah, fucking yeah. upside down. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you catch the Paul Stanley mic twirling? Yeah, yeah of course. It didn't go around his neck. No, but, no, you know. no, 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 <laughs> no. The video does look sick. It's it's my first image of the band. Oh, yeah. Um, the drummer is the only one who looks normal. Yep. It's the it's a normal looking rock drummer. But everybody else is dressed weird. They look weird. They're acting weird. They're like, and this fucking stone gossard, I'm riding a hobby horse fucking stage thing <laughs> is the worst fucking image since fucking uh, Paul Stanley's, I don't know, shoulder and in, in, in pouty lip look. What is it, this? It, it's so funny seeing early. <laughs> it, it's so <laughs> funny. It's so funny to see early grunge bands performing because they dress different and they behave differently than what grunge became to be in the mid nineties. Like you could see this band looks fucking so weird and their movements are so weird and odd. They're uncomfortable. Yes. yes. I, McCready looks fine. It's yeah, the he does. fucking God. He always does it. It's a fucking hobby horse thing. Yeah. Like he doesn't know what to do. And he's yeah. jumping up. <laughs> yeah. It looks silly. And, and later on, like one of my favorite things at Pearl jam is a DVD called touring band. I used to watch it religiously and it came out like after the first five albums and there's like different concerts and different shows and stuff. And when stone Gossard cuts his hair, I'm like, that's Murph. He looks like (laughs) Murph in a rock band stone, like the soccer who put the soccer dad. I literally expect stone Gossard, the next concert to have fucking flip flops and black sandals. It's Merton his glasses and he's like, hey, is this how you rock, Tom? Why are we making fun of Murph? Right? Why, why, why are we making fun of Murph? Why, why we make it fun it's of easy because and it's fun. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because <laughs> hey guys, because Stone, Stone Gossett is Murph. That's wow. Wow. That's an awful rocking look, dude. Oh, it's, I know. I know. It's, it's terrible. I know. I know. But but this stuff is, I want to add, much more raw. It, it's, it's like my favorite image of the band because this is how you picture them and they're doing shit their way. They're not fucking copying trends. Um, but Eddie's doing that. The other thing that he does is that annoying ace, like hand gestures when he's oh, talking he about like, pushing, Ehh. when he's pushing butterflies where yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yep. He's got that hand, like pushing something like, yep. dude, settle down. We get it. You know, like you, you're pushing butterflies. Ooh, Yep. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I just think the last thing that you said, Sonny, when, 
Eddie does the climbing shit. He loves to climb shit in videos, which he stole from Cornell. But he loves to climb shit in video. And he does that fall. All I can think of is 1996 Bob Dole. Oh. Oh. <laughs> and everybody went out of the way. Yep. That was the thing about nobody Dole. helped the poor guy. Yeah, everybody stepped away. And I see Eddie jumping back, and all these kids are like, yeah. But poor Bob Dole, the World War II veteran and hero, fucking tries to shake a hand and goes, ah. Just went down to like a like a chopped tree. Just whoop. now you have to catch it because I watched the video like four or five times in a row. <laughs> Especially, I think Mike. Mike's like looking around, going, "What the fuck's going on, dude? He's oh, gonna yeah. die!" Yes, right. Yeah. Like he, he's playing. He's like, "What is going on right now?" <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. If you haven't been able to tell yet, Mike McCready, I assume is Tom's. I don't know, but he's by far my favorite. In Pearl Jam, everybody's favorite. Besides, he's the biggest Kiss and Ace fan. We're going to get to that next. Yeah, yeah. I love Mike McCready. So cool. Plus, he was in fucking Mad Season. So can't mm-hmm. go wrong there. I know. T- Sonny's like, what? Anyway, um, let's get busy with our mom. Next. Okay, so a live, yeah, incest. All righty then. Um, okay, whatever. Uh, I will tell you this is a well-written song. This song, to me, should have opened up the album. So if I was a record producer or at Sony trying to connect Pearl Jam to the 80s guys, I would open with this so it didn't accidentally get chucked out the window when people heard once, but that's just my personal opinion. Um, it deserved to be a single no doubt about that. I think it's about a minute too long at the end. Like it gets a little long in the tooth, but this whole Ace Frehley inspired solo shit. So I love the doors. Dude, she is a straight ripoff of five to one. Oh yeah. There is absolutely no doubt. It's almost note for note. Mm-hmm. What Mike's doing is not a straight ripoff to me. No. Mike added some things to it. So I know he kind of falls on the sword saying, look, I kind of, 
you know, copied it off Ace, but Ace copied it off the doors. Ace absolutely copied it off the doors. Ace was hammered somewhere and heard it and goes, oh, I think I had a great idea for a solo, you know, whatever the hell he does. Um, but uh, I, it's a great song. I just think it's just a little too long at the end, but uh, it deserved to be a single. One of the all-time greatest riffs, choruses, solos. I I understand what Sonny is saying that he thinks it's too long. For me, I don't. I I love every second of it. I think the solo is. I don't care if you hate Pearl Jam. I don't care if you hate grunge. If you like rock music, guitar-based rock music, and you hear this solo and you aren't blown away, this is what we were talking about with Mike McCready so tremendously underrated and underappreciated for his abilities. One thing, Sonny's not even a Pearl Jam fan, and what he's been mentioning in each of these songs is Mike McCready is carrying these songs, whether it's the solos, the riffs, his little licks and fills that he's doing at the end of each line. He is a fucking superstar on this album. It is insane what he is doing at the end of this song and how it just keeps going and going and going. And it just builds and builds. Now, that being said, the verses, yeah, we talk about it before. It is part of that Mama San trilogy. It's about a guy who realized that the guy that he thought was his dad was not and that his dad actually died. And then you kind of have the pseudo, pseudo autobiographical that Eddie has been very clear that it's not autobiographical, that there wasn't anything incestual with his mom, but that the story goes that the mom now sees the father in her son and is now trying to establish some kind of relationship there. Of course, just extremely fucked up lyrical stuff, but there, but there is some of it based on Eddie's true life experiences about the guy that he thought was his dad was not. And that it was like that, that he kind of like, like that his father like died, but like, wasn't really told that. Um, but the story, the story is just amazing. It's disturbing, but it's Pearl Jam alive. Uh, music is Stone Gossard. It's the first single made it to number 16 on mainstream rock. It's an instrumental called Dollar Short by Stone. And it was on the demo. And uh, when they was st- actually it's when they were in actually Mother Love Bone. Uh, it's semi account, like Tom said, about Eddie and his stepdad. He didn't find out that his stepdad wasn't his real dad until he was later older. It's the first song that Eddie wrote lyrics to when he was sent the tape. Mm-hmm. Uh, first part of the trilogy, Mama Son, that we talked about. Uh, and there's two different theories on this. One is the guilt mart. Well, he's still alive, but his father's dead. And then the other is like, hey, you're alive. Hey, how you doing <laughs> with his mom? And I'm like, yeah, I, I remember that song. It was called The End by The Doors. Oh. But that's okay. You can take from that. However, we talked about the, you know, the solo taken from she, which was taken from doors. And actually, there is a uh, YouTube clip of Gene Simmons at a convention, one of those from like seven or eight years ago or something. And Gene was in one of those like speaking for like an hour, hour and a half, something. And he talked about the fact that we took this from the doors and then Pearl Jam, just because he liked the name drop, took it from us. I mean, we, you mean Ace? Yeah, <laughs> but anyways, but <laughs> this whole song, I can't believe no one has mentioned it yet. This whole song is very kiss centric because the song is taken from love theme from kiss. That's the song. That's the riff kind it's of love yeah, theme from kiss. Sped oh, up. yeah. 
It's right? connected. Yeah, thinking yeah I can, about, I can see everyone's that. thinking about this now. It's like down, 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 down. It's there. It's and then he changed it a little bit. That's where he got it. There's some DNA there. I can oh, see that. There's yeah. definitely DNA there, but more than DNA. He's got it's got it's got some sperm on that one. Oh, Jesus. More than, wow. Okay. A little graphic here. Um, yeah, the the solo is fucking legendary. Uh, the vocals are awesome. The 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 uh, the drums and the way it builds and that outro is just fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. And uh, you you can't help but fall in love with the guitar on this song, especially you know Mike's. Uh, you want to talk about the video? Just go go for it. Yeah, black and white. Another live performances, and again, fucking Stone doing the hobby Murph dance. Hobby horse Murph dance. It's fucking aggravating. This one has the drummer Matt Chamberlain in it. <laughs> God, this band had so many friggin' drummers, it's impossible yeah. to keep track of. Dave was on the last one on Even Flow. Yep. And none of them played on this album. Yep. Which I, you know what? It's one of those things that we we always kind of forget to kind of talk about. So you want to say who's in Pearl Jam and who played on this album? Well, the well, the album says it was Dave Cruzen, but then it was it, Dave Abruzzi, and then you had then you had Matt Chamberlain in 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 the in the video. Was, yeah, it was Cruzen that played on this whole album. Correct. He's on this whole album, yep. but then there is some extended takes and stuff. As soon as this album came out, he was all on crack or whatever the fuck. He had some he, yeah, problems. He, he, he so had they, to walk away. They yeah, they couldn't keep up with him, so he yep. had to fucking leave. Anyway, yep. getting back to the video, uh, Eddie with his upside down fucking smile. Crowd goes insane towards the end. Eddie climbing again and being upside down, a la Chris Cornell. It's another performance video, but all these performance videos, when you're watching it, you're right, Sonny. You're like, what the fuck? Whatever they got is fucking, these people in the audience are going nuts. I need to hear it. I need to see what's going on with these guys. It's very addictive. Yep. And Vetter comes off as a great front man. I've never seen Pearl Jam live, but just from the videos, he's just absolutely crazy. But it was this video where I noticed, I'm like, Mike, uh, you kind of got the Richie Sambora costume going on there, buddy. <laughs> yep. Yeah. The Don Dawkins hat. <laughs> fucking. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Un- uh, unfortunately, I- I've seen Pearl Jam a bunch of times, but I saw them kind of later on in their discography. So I never I never saw them early on like like this, like long head, crazy Eddie. I didn't see them at this part of their career, but I've saw them. I've seen them a bunch of times later on. Let's go to song number four.
Why go? All right. So my first couple of listens that I was telling you about a little while ago, this was the song that I was like, oh, these guys must be Ace fans. Because this is where I first heard kind of the Kiss influence. Um, obviously, they're you know years, years beyond what Ace does. <laughs> I'm just saying. Is that um, what they do? <laughs> yeah, is that what they do? Yeah, is that what he does? Um, Mike's like blue scale type solos are really cool. So it's definitely Mike that I'm connected to. This song, I like the groove in the beginning, and it feels a little more peppy. And then it all goes downhill when when Eddie starts. And I get it. Zeus, I get it. You love his delivery. I fucking hate his delivery. Wow. It has to be absolutely perfect for me, song-wise, for me to even listen, to be honest with you. And then I started thinking I was really pissed when I was listening to this song the other day. I'm like, when are you supposed to fucking listen to this music? You can't listen to it when you're driving because you drive off a cliff. You can't l- listen to it when you're about to do your woman because she'll push you off. So you're basically in leaving Las Vegas vodka drown, or you're in a drug binge, or in a room crying by yourself, or you're on the Golden Gate Bridge about to jump. Like, you got no choices on when you're supposed to listen to this shit. I you, are, you, you are putting way too much stuff time and energy into the lyrical content of these songs rather than the musical content it's the feel too it's the feel too dude it's yeah. not just the lyrical content okay okay well i'll jump in here then so are you done bashing one of my favorite songs on the album or do you want to keep going? yeah absolutely no, no, okay. keep going. <laughs> keep going, because keep why going. should you go home to go listen to the better music that's why you should go home. <laughs> here we go here it comes i knew this was going to happen that's okay that's okay that's okay that's okay let's all remember that sunny picked poison for his last pick so that's okay <laughs> Um, look, I, I understand what Sonny's saying with the lyrics, but the, the, these songs, there's so much more than just listening to the lyrics. Like the, the, the music is a straight up rock song. The chorus, I love the chorus. I love how the first time the music kind of quiets down and it's just, it's kind of like a half chorus. And then later on in the song, you get the full blown chorus with the music. You get a solo that's friggin' off the charts. Uh, and you get a story that is pretty much based on a true story about a girl that Eddie knew. Uh, girl was about 13 years old. And uh, the mother was convinced that she was suffering some some problems, which she probably was because she's a 13-year-old girl. Uh, she was hospitalized for a while and didn't think she belonged there. And when you listen to the lyrics, uh, it's really striking about what the story is being told. Um, and there's a cool story here that I heard on a, on a podcast that was talking about Pearl Jam was that after this album was released, they were performing uh, pretty much the, the album in its entirety at a club. And I believe the club was in Chicago. And before they played Why Go, Eddie said this next song is dedicated to the person that the song is about. The girl's name is Heather. She was actually in the audience for the performance of the song. Uh, And Eddie dedicated it to her after he obviously wrote the song about her. So, again, you're dealing with really dark lyrics, but that are based in reality, based on Eddie's life experiences. Whether that makes it easier or more difficult to hear the songs is is up to you. But uh, musically... I think the difference between a, an album like Alice in Chains, where the lyrics and the music make you want to jump off the bridge. Now, when I love Alice in Chains, I, 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 think, I think you're hearing dark lyrics, serious lyrics, but built around songs that are kind of hooky and melodic and catchy. Whereas some of the stuff that's in Alice in Chains, again, which I love, or even Soundgarden, is, the music is just as dark and disturbing as the lyrics. Why go? Uh, the music is Jeff Ament. 
Mm-hmm. So this is a, a little bit of a change. A couple of things. That lady Heather in the crowd must have been. Thanks, fucking Eddie. Now everyone knows I'm an institution. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate well, it. He didn't. He didn't use her name. He just said this song is written about. A girl she's in the here. audience and she's right fucking there. Hey, oh, yeah. friends are like, you were no fucking institution. <laughs> I'm pretty sure probably everybody knew. <laughs> Regardless, uh, I don't agree with you at all about that. Allison Chains. It's the opposite. Allison Chains constantly says our lyrics may be dark, but our music and the way we perform it. They always say that is more uplifting. It's not. Have you, you ever li- have you then you haven't listened to dirt in a while? Talk about I. Of course I have. But I'm you, saying so they you, specifically say the opposite of that. They so you've say that to, you've listened to the music in angry chair, rain when I die, down on a whole yeah. junkhead. And they oh. say they perform those things not in a negative and de- uh, uh, gro- uh, gloomy way that they produce. And I agree with actually. Zeus. It's the delivery and the vocal tone that makes it a little more listenable, you know, without I having mean, to be on the Golden Gate. All Bridge. I'm saying is AIC says this specifically that we That's get fine. deemed all the time for this. But we think our songs are uplifting, even though the lyrics may be dark. I don't yeah, they're it not. Doesn't matter. I, I love Alice in Chains, but they're not. But go ahead. I, 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 I we just disagree on that. Okay, that's fine. The song is obviously about mental illness. Uh, girl asking, why should I go back to you when you put me in here? To his mm-hmm. mom. To her mom. Um, there's the other part where if you what you taught me put me here, don't come visit. Um, the lyrics are really fucking dark. Uh, the drum and bass intro. This makes me think this is why this album gets d- deemed grunge. This is about as grungy as it gets with these guys. The guitars are a little bit grungy on there. Yeah. Uh, second time I've heard the word fuck by some stupid fuck and mommy agrees. So you'll, you'll find that the word fuck comes up a lot in this album. Lyrics are intense. This is not leather boys with electric toys. That's it's not. I, no, no, dude, that's, that's good <laughs> shit. Pretty boy Floyd is awesome. Here we go. Here it comes. <sighs> and I just I, I find this stuff to be uh, kind of humorous. The difference in Sonny take Tom's take. Uh, I'm obviously aligned with Tom on this stuff. But you can tell, I will tell you guys right now, the feedback is going to be 50-50. You were going to get exactly what Sonny says. I think I the feedback's going to be worse. I think it's going to be 25-75 <laughs> on Sonny's side. Oh, like, yeah, meaning 75 for Sonny's side. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's going to be exactly what Sonny gets. And I, I just call it hateration. That's all that, it is. Of um, course. Of course. Hateration. Yeah, go put on your Lizzie Borden albums. We're going to enjoy one of the greatest <laughs> records ever made. That's not him. That's somebody that's, else. That's BC. <laughs> that's all right. But I, I like why go. I will tell you this. When when we talked about doing this album, I was like, oh, this and some other song that we'll get into. I'm like, oh, those are the worst songs on the album. I know that's easy. I'll put those last. But as you wow. listen and then you put the lyrics on and you listen, it grew on me. It grew on me. And I know the like, I don't even have to listen to this album. I I know this album. I listened to it a million times in college. It was on the five disc change player. Okay. I've listened to it. My daughter knows this album now because she heard it a million times driving her to school this, you know, the past month or so. I I didn't need to, but still I found something new and I found a new appreciation for the song because of the lyrics. Mm -hmm. So let's go to the next one.
a sucker for a song that's about losing a true love because you know reality is you know all of us have been in love with somebody it is it's hard it is hard to be in love with somebody i, I love nicole nicole it must be a pain in the ass to love me back like that i get it she okay. does yeah she is does that what she, is that is that what she, she does, does? <laughs> <laughs> uh i'll tell you here's where eddie can sell the song there is not another person I can think of, of all the singers I know that would do this song the way he did it. The falsetto notes he hits at sheets and surrounded, definitely earworms, great chorus. I like the pace of the song. I thought the ending was a good idea. Again, I think it's about a minute too long, but I'll let that go. And I even like it that Eddie was against like releasing this as a single, which showed they actually had a little bit of power, which is unique for a new band. Really well-written song, and I hate to admit it, I've been humming this fucking song for the last month. Like, I'll wake up, and somehow this song is in my head. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just really, really well-written, and this is where I can handle this Eddie. This fits Eddie. I can listen to this over and over. Mm, Wow, that's nice to hear. Yeah, because the song is absolutely in spectacular ballad. There's a reason why this is a go-to one of the most famous songs by the band and of the, and of the, that of the era um, just beautifully written, beautifully sung. It's got an, a, a fantastic outro that one of the engineers actually cut it short. And Eddie was like, well, what do you do? Why'd you do that? And he was and the guy was like, okay, I'll put it back. Cause even he agreed with you. So he thought it was too long and he cut it. And when the band heard it, Eddie's like, no, 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 I want, that's the point. I want it to be long and drawn out and have just an emotional ending to it. Um, I also think it's cool too that the, uh, the one of the engineers said that the sounds, the, the those opening sounds at the beginning of the song, are kind of made to made made you to hear that they, it sounds like they're coming out of like a radio. So if you listen to those opening notes, they're kind of like distorted. They're not as crisp as, as you would think they would be. And then the bass kicks in, and then the song kind of proper begins. Um, just a fantastic song. I love it. Yeah, it's overplayed to shit. Believe me, it is. But uh, when you take the time to listen to it, uh, it's a fantastic song. And Eddie's, Eddie shines vocally on it. Black, the music is Stone Gossard. It went to number three on mainstream rock 
Uh, Rick Parisher, the producer, does the piano and Hammond organ on this. This was voted the number ninth best ballad by Rolling Stone in 2011. Hmm. Wow. And Sonny, if you if this didn't get out of your head, then do 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 do. <laughs> that shit stays with you. Anyways, this was on the Stone demo. It was originally called E Ballard. Eddie wrote this after mailing the tape back on the way to Seattle. Again, Mike says he was trying to copy a little bit of Stevie Ray Vaughan. Eddie says about relationships and letting go. And then there's that unique phrasing again, the way he does it. I just love this part of the song. And you talk about earworms, how quick the sun can drop away. You know, oh my yep. God. That's a, uh, it's a unique way of singing. It's a little bit uh, um, one of those things that you think of anytime I can think of this song. It, that's the part that really sticks out to me. It's a beautiful song. Over the years, it, it's lost its luster for me because I've, it's been so fatigued uh, for me, that is. And I get a feel like Eddie's being a little pretentious. You know, it's just, I just, I don't know. It just, sometimes Eddie gets to me. And there are other times where I feel that he's being sincere and really into it and things like that. And then maybe it's when he gets into the love stuff. But, you know, it just, it, it's still an incredible song is just a matter of fatigue overall. You know, a lot of these songs fatigue for me, but they're still fucking incredible. So uh, let's go and um, do some school shooting. Jeremy, I really fight myself on this song. Okay, I will tell you, I have liked this song from day one. Great lyrics, great story. You know, people talk about the Hot for Teacher video in the 80s. This is probably one of the videos in the 90s. There's no doubt about that. The pain of, you know, the lyrical idea, Eddie's absolutely selling it. The octave jumps in the melody, love it. The, the whoa, whoa, whoa with the drum, drum accents absolutely work. The ah, ah, ah thing at the end absolutely works. So I'm all in. The part that I absolutely hate in this song is that <laughs> I cannot fucking handle that. 
it pisses me off every time he gets to it. And I'm just like, God, is there any mix of this that does not have that stupid woo-woo thing in it? So that way I can listen to the song and really love it. It's the one thing I hate about the song besides that. Absolutely great song. Yeah, it's surprising that a song, I mean, you talk about lyrical content. It's surprising that this song became a standout track, a single, the first proper official real you know, professionally directed non-performance video. Um, I mean, the, t- the the topic is insanely horrible. I mean, it's Eddie, Eddie claims that it's based on two separate stories, one that he was personally involved in, but it's more famously known for the story uh, of a 15-year-old boy named Jeremy Wade Dell from Texas who shot himself in front of his teacher in his class of 30 students back in 19, early 91. Um just a horrific story, a horrific story. And you watch the video and uh, we'll talk about the video, but um, you know, just one of the most troubling tracks on the album musically, they sell it. Uh, It's not one of my favorite songs. I don't know if that's because it's been beaten into the ground, probably more so than any others. Um, I like the song, um, but it's a difficult song to listen to uh, when you realize that the the lyrical content is based on a, on a true story of a teenager who who did what he did. Jeremy was uh, the music is Jeff Ament. There's a lot of fucking superlative things, interesting stuff about this. It's the third single went to number five on mainstream rock. Uh, I think it went to number 79 in 1995 on billboard. Uh, Walter Gray played the cello. Rick Parisher played the Hammond organ and percussion. 19th greatest video on by MTV. Uh, number 36 for video for Rolling Stone. Uh, number 48 uh, pop song since the Beatles by Rock Rolling Stone. I didn't know that was a thing. Wow. Um, number 32 best song of 25 years of the last 25 years by VH1. Number 11, Songs of the 90s by VH1, and Video of the Year, 1993. Um, I love that beginning intro mm. bass, like that little haunting noise. And then, you know, oh, and then they get right into the lyrics. And amazing. Uh, the lyrics, again, here we go. Seem a harmless little fuck. And why is the kid biting the recessed lady's breast? I never understood that. I, that that is such a fucking odd lyric. I have no idea what like what would make of all the things that a crazy teenager would do. <laughs> that's what you're gonna do. I don't get it. And he hit him with the surprise laugh. Tom, yes. Did you know my that? Jaw, my, my jaw left hurting. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's almost like boy, it's getting hot. <laughs> yes, indeed it is. Snoop Dogg <laughs> on the mic. He's about to get as crazy as Biz Marquee. Yep. <laughs> anyway, before we go down that road, um, the solo, what solo? There is no solo. Yeah. Right. Yep. And then, uh, you know, it ends with the strange noises, the haunting noisings. Uh, you mentioned the story about the the poor kid that did this. And this is the fucking part that always like, remember, we didn't have M- uh, MTV when we were in college, when we lived at the dorms. There was no we cable. Didn't, we didn't, like videos and shit were not big to me. Like I didn't get caught up on videos like I did with all like the docking, the Bon Jovi's, the uh, Motley Crue videos, because now we're at college. And when we're in college, we don't have cable. 
in our dorms where we lived. Mm-hmm. So we didn't really get to see them. And then when I'd come home, I didn't really get to see the pickup of the, like how big these things like translated. I didn't realize how big of a video Jeremy was. I just knew there was a video and I always assumed, you know, I saw parts of it. I always thought it was the kid blew up fucking classmates because let's get to this video. There's two cuts of it. And because they panicked, because at the end of the video, when he walks in, he fucking hands his teacher the apple and then basically blows his brains out. The video's cut because they didn't want to show the gun. Mm-hmm. And so all the images of the kids, they're never really moving, but they have all blood on them. Mm-hmm. So people are like, dude, it looks like he went in and shot all the kids. This is pre-Columbine, too. Yep. Yep. So people are like, wait a minute, you got you to gotta fucking put some clip of the gun in there. So there's a lot of controversies about this clip. A lot of spooky shit out. The image that I always remember is th- this kid is walking around, walking around without a shirt on and he's in the woods and he's got that picture of his head down and the fucking wolf's mouth open. That shit's awesome. And then just crazy images of this shirtless little boy running, arguing, fighting, uh, images flashing, words, uh, the band and Eddie with, with his fucking ultra upside down smile. Ooh, shit. Um, yeah. Fucking insane. Yeah. Eddie looks like tremendously disturbed in this video. Uh, he looks totally fucking terrifying. And, uh, and you're right. The uncensored version of the video with the kid walking in and putting the gun in his mouth and pulling the trigger. It's like, Jesus Christ. Like, and then all the kids are like frozen like statues with the blood all over them. It's a fucking horrific video. And, and when you think about the fact that it's a true story, it just makes it that much worse. It's amazing that the video got the play that it did. But again, it was the early 90s. This would never be a fucking video nowadays, probably. And that's what I was going to get to is the horrifying subject matter. When I was watching the video the other day, I'm like, is that the last 30 years seeping into my being because yeah. of all the shit that's happened over the last really 20 years? right? 20 to 25 years. And that in the early nineties, we wouldn't have known if this stuff was happening everywhere because the news wasn't as prevalent as it is today. Mm -hmm. And the, the gun being missing from the video because the kids are stills, you do think that they got killed because they're not moving. Mm -hmm. Right. So you have to have the gun in the Mm -hmm. video. Otherwise the video doesn't make any sense. Um, But I remember, I don't know why I remember this because it must've happened a couple of times. You would get this video and then you would get like Jay Giles centerfold right after (laughs) Like it was like MTV was trying to like bring you back down to earth and make it more fun again. Yep. Yep. Crazy. um, And when they won the award, apparently uh, for MTV, uh, the, the actor was in the crowd. And then uh, what's the name brought him out? Eddie Vedder. He's like, uh, this is Trevor. See, he's alive. He lives. <laughs> and then apparently that actor fucking ends up drowning. I saw in 2016 at, at the age of 36. But oh, my God, this whole Jesus fucking Christ shit wow. is fucking haunted. If you think about it as, you know, and I don't want to get too deep. It's fucking brutal to imagine what one kid feels that he has all this, like no one's listened to him. His classmates ignore him. The school just ignores him. His parents are ignoring him. You know, they're fighting, they're doing their shit. And he like, in order for him to do it, he doesn't go and hurt other kids, but he wants to show them their pain. And he does this. And when you think that this happened in real life, you're like, Oh my God, what must those parents feel like? 
that somebody, you know, anytime you hear about kids and suicide, it's always one of those things that it just tears at you. you. Never want to make anybody feel, especially kids, that, you know, this is the way out. And unfortunately, with bullying and stupid shit, um, this is what ends up happening. Now, like we we make fun of everybody on our show, but at least there are yeah. adults. Um, <laughs> but like think- that is heartbreaking. And it makes you think. And maybe makes you kind of want to reach out and help kids and get involved and and lift people up. And that's about as deep as I'm going to get. But this stuff is really I think this is the saddest thing of hearing of a kid that gets to the point where he's like, you know what? You guys need to see my pain. No one can see it. Here it is. Watch this. Yeah. And I think and you're right. I think the thing that is so shocking is, you know, again, we'll, we'll we'll move on to the next song. But I just. You know, you hear about school shootings and how horrific and tragic and, and disgusting and sad they are. But like you said, this kid decided to bring a gun to school and kill himself in front of his class, not do what most of these other kids do. The Columbine kids do and take out their anger on all the people that are that have wronged them. He did it to himself and decided to do it in front of them. Just just fucking horrific, which man. is just horrific, which is another thing, which unfortunately started coming afterwards in 99 in the Columbine. Correct. And then you get into the political, but white angst and all these kids and they're all drugs and kids. And so it's a whole fucking different subject. And, you know, yep. but yep. this all comes from this song, Jeremy by yep. Pearl Jam. And this, this kind of discussion, we're not getting this discussion when we did play dirty from poison. Well, they were talking, they were, they were advocating violence at while playing pool. Down, Wait, down, they were talking about dirty fucking, games. D- yeah, yeah, down at fucking Jimmy's Bar and Grill. I mean, that's just as violent. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's about as thought provoking as play dirty. Exactly. They Number play, one bad boy. They play dirty. Yeah, I mean, come on, it's the same kind of thing. All right, that that's like that's a, at least we could segue away from the series. Yeah, so you can always rely on poison to bring you back. <laughs> All right, let's go swimming in the ocean. The currents will shift Like me towards you No, something's left And we're all allowed To dream of the next oh, So, in my opinion, after two great songs, Black and Jeremy, you get Oceans, right? So, let me start with all the things I like about this song. I like that it starts right away. No intro. That's it. Besides that, this song is in the running of the worst song in recorded fucking (laughs) history. There it goes. This is so bad. It is so bad. I had to listen to it again to make sure that I really knew how bad it was. This is 
unbelievably brutal. There is not, except for it starting right away and then ending right away. It's about the only things I liked about this fucking song. Is it you're giving yourself away bad? It's worse. I'm going to tell you that right now. You can find the bottom. It is worse. It is worse. All right. So every great album has to have a song that's not great. Um, I, I, I will take one one thing I that I like about this song that Sonny hasn't really mentioned is that it's short because it's not a great song. It's very unique and it's very different from the rest of the album. And to me, this is a sneak peek at some of what you see down the road from Pearl Jam. Uh, experimental music, working with different sounds, different uh, different kind of organizations of the song itself it's it, it's unique it's not it's not straight ahead guitar rock verse chorus verse type stuff it, it's a unique and it's an odd song um which is shocking to me because it's jeff and stone's favorite song on the album which i don't get that at all and it's funny because eddie's on record saying he wrote the lyrics to this while he was locked out of his rehearsal he went out to go put money in the parking meter came back and the friggin' room was locked. So we tried to friggin' write lyrics. Maybe that's why the song's not great. Cause he was under, you know, not really in a good state of mind to friggin' write it. Um, but it's funny too. Cause on the, on the liner notes to the album mixer, Tim Palmer is credited with playing a pepper shaker and a fire extinguisher <laughs> on this. And he says that, yeah, he took, the, they, they were in the middle of nowhere and they didn't really have access to a lot of kind of percussion type things. So he took pepper shakers and then he had a fire extinguisher was kind of tapping the fire extinguisher for, for to get kind of some extra sounds. The song's fucking weird. Let's be honest. It's weird. And it's it's typical Eddie Vedder. It's just a friggin' weird song. All right. A dumpster fire with a fire extinguisher. Perfect. There, there you go. Perfect. There you go. Oceans. The music is credited with Stone Gossard, Jeff Ament, Eddie Vedder. It's the fourth single. Yes. Tim Palmer is credited with fire extinguisher and pepper shaker. Um, I want to tell uh, some other band someday. Hey, I want to join your band. I can play the the fire extinguisher and the <laughs> and the pepper shaker. I'm credited. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you talked about it. Eddie's locked out. He's in the rain while playing, so he took out a piece of paper and started writing the music because all he could hear was the bass. Mm. And so from the bass line, that's what he wrote it to. It also opens up unplugged, which is the strangest thing I would ever so, think for so open up like an album. Yeah. Uh, their unplugged performance. Imagine this as an opener. Um, Vetter says on unplugged, a little love song that I wrote about my surfboard. Actually, it's someone named Beth who hopefully I'll see tomorrow. And that is his ex-wife named Beth. Yep. Uh, labeling who's a, mu- a musician. I think the music and the vocals are haunting. Um, it's very stone Stonehill ish to me. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I know this from Stonehill yeah. and it makes me think of the fall. And I have some nostalgic. There's no solo on this, but I will tell you, this is where Sonny and I uh, disagree. I don't know. And even maybe you, Tom, I like certain songs that have to move me that have these haunting, weird melodies that pick up for me. Yeah. So head down on sound gardens, super unknown (laughs) that shame in you, which is Alice in Chains. Alice in Chains. That. And you're thinking like in oceans. It's a very haunting melody. It's quick and it moves. It's not a rocker. It's not a, it's not a fucking ballad. It's not a fucking 
mid-tempo. It's just kind of like, I don't know, spooky music. It works for me. Mm-hmm. I like the song. I don't yeah. like love it. I don't go, oh, dude, who's got oceans? You got to blast that. Like, it's thought provoking. I like it. It puts me in a place and mm-hmm. it's very Stonehillish for me. Oceans. I got you. Yep, Comes up on you. shuffle. There it is. Let's I got you. Yep, so, I got you. There is a video for this, and I don't know if you guys caught it. Guess what? It's black and white. Gee, no shit. Yeah. Eddie surfing, people diving, some a little couple black and white, like slow clips of the band playing in concert, ocean waves, people on the beach. Uh, okay. Eh, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Eh. Any thoughts, Sonny? Uh, Eddie looked normal. <laughs> I remember watching the video going, oh, my God, he looks like a normal dude there. Yep. He was shirtless on the surfboard. Yeah. (laughs) I don't get the point of it. I like the song. There's no way this should have been a fucking single on this album. No, I know it's not something that would be, you know, for the masses. So now, oh, my God, put oceans out. We might sell another million and a half (laughs) copies. I don't think so. Yeah, (laughs) but maybe they should have done this next song. What the fuck is this one? to you, did a message at least I could learn your voice one last time. Daily mind you, this could be my time by you. Would you hit me? Would you hit me? So porch, even the first line apologizes for the last shitty song that oh. says, "What the fuck is this world running to?" <laughs> right. So he even apologizes for oceans that you had to listen, you know, sit through that shit. Okay, porch. The cl- the groove is cool, like that. I think the pace of the song that started should have stayed consistent all the way through the guitar solo. I think I would enjoy it more. If somebody was to give me this song and say, hey, this song defines Pearl Jam, I'd never listen to Pearl Jam again. I I get it. They're different. I get it. Somebody would hand it to me and say, hey, you're listening to Shotgun Messiah. Listen to this. These guys are cool. Okay. I would say, yeah, they're different. Meh. Whatever. The song was just meh to me. I, I just, I don't like Eddie rapping. Eddie's basically rapping. I'll leave that for Dre or somebody. No, thanks, Eddie. All right. So the intro, the, fir- the first part of the song, you know, very hyper, very frenzied, very erratic musically and lyrically. And then when the song starts to transition into the song that I fucking absolutely love, when he starts saying, 
you know, hear my name, take a good look. This could be the day, hold my hand, walk beside me. And then you got the breakdown and it kind of calms down a little bit. You get the solo, then it comes back. And that's when Eddie just puts on a fucking clinic. I think when he's like, I could not take just one day. I know I would never touch you, hold you, feel you in my arms. Never again. And the, 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 the angst, the emotion, if you're not buying what he is selling, it is fucking insane. It is one of the greats that Pearl Jam has ever done. And it, it's amazing. It's a friggin' stunning performance. Now he fucks it up on the MTV Unplugged because he starts friggin' sitting on his bench, writing shit on his arm about abortion and pro-choice. And I'm not saying that he fucks up because of my stance on abortion. That has nothing to do with it. I'm just saying he just he starts just going fucking crazy, but that's okay. But the song is just friggin' off the rails, intense, and I love it. Porch music better about a breakup relationship or and I've done many, many years of fucking this song, looking up. What's this mean? What's it about? So legendary performance on the unplugged in the middle of the the song with him hanging, doing stupid shit. He writes in black marker pro choice on his arm. So I saw people talking on message boards and things like that. And this is how I've come up with it. Porch is pro-choice. P-O-R, he changes it in the C-H for choice. That's why he calls the song Porch. That's what I believe uh, about abortion becoming possibly illegal. It's a deal. It's a guy and his girlfriend and abortion's now illegal. And he have issues that you got to go through a daily minefield. All the bills go by and initiatives are taken up. Yep. There ain't going to be any middle anymore. Holding his hand, walking beside me. I would never touch you and hold you feeling again. Maybe they can't have intimacy again yep. because they're scared to have kids in the pro choice thing about the unplugged. That's where I think this is all about. And he talks about it and it doesn't make any sense for anything else. In my opinion, no, so you're right. Pro choice. And that's what he's writing about. Mm-hmm. The music is aggressive again. What the fuck is this world? There's the fuck word. Um, there's a kind of noise in the first verse, and it sounds like a car going by. You hear yep. it going. They're like volume swells, I think, right? On the yes. guitar, is that what it is? Yes, something. Yeah. It goes by, and that leads up to when it, ooh, when he gets into the big part, when he leads up with his vocal, and he holds that note, and then it goes into the fucking main musical theme in the music. I love that shit. Those little earworms of the of that little noise that sounds like it's driving by you. Um, that faster tempo. Uh, I for years I never knew that he was saying left the porch. I had no idea. Yep. <laughs> That's I was Joycey. I had no idea. But this is Eddie going nuts at his best. Um, you know the little break. Eddie goes up and stage climbs, falls down. We laugh. Sparky the clown shit whatever he does during the blur break. <laughs> yep. Um, the buildup is, is the, uh, the finality is insane. Oh, it's amazing. The, the drums on her. It's in the, yeah, yeah. Just fucking insane. The drums, the vocals. Wow. Exclamation point. This is probably on my Mount Rushmore of my grunge album songs. Mm-hmm. Yep. This, this song, mm-hmm. it is fucking intense. 
awesome. He goes nuts. The music, the guitar, the drums, all of it. Uh, I fucking love Porsche. Um, and let's slow it down now and go to the next track. garden uh i love ballads and like the acoustic type start of this song and then i kind of lost interest like i i'm listening and i'm like okay this isn't super connecting with me until the chorus came do that whole i will walk oh my god that will be stuck in my head for the rest of my life there is <laughs> something about the way he says you know that whole i will walk right that whole oh my god dude i that was just part of the song that sold me. The guitar fills he's doing at the end are great. I think the guitar solo is great. Mike is by far the MVP on this album for me. There's, And I'm sure he's the MVP on many Pearl Jam albums. There's no doubt about that. In the end, I don't really... Songs about war, I don't usually get it because I don't... I'm not a military guy. None of my family was in the military. I, you know, if, it, if the song really connects... Um, I guess melodically and vocal melody wise, I can kind of get into it. Uh, for this one, it was really that whole I will walk piece that connected me. Besides that, uh, the song was okay to me. Yeah, a couple of reasons why I think this is a standout track on the album. It's it's unique. It's not the love song or you know the emotional heart wrenching song that that Black is, and it's obviously slowed down. It's not a big rocker like Porch or Why Go or whatever. Uh, it's a very moody and atmospheric song. And when you combine the way the song kind of opens up with kind of like that moody, that guitar, the drums kind of rip in and then Eddie's just soaring vocally with that chorus, as, as Sonny said, it's really a unique song on the album. And for me, that's why it stands out. Uh, it, it's spectacular. It has another like soaring kind of closeout to the song um that that is just a real standout for me i think it's a fantastic song it's you know it's it's about death it's about war garden of stone obviously referring to a cemetery 
talking about people who have lost their lives, whether it's in the war or just generally speaking, the concept of death and dying and what you believe happens when you die. Um, just great stuff by Eddie, of course, another another very serious subject matter with a serious kind of uh, vibe to the song. A, a great, a great tune. Garden, the music is Stone Gossard, Jeff Ament. Um, there's that she don't wander in there. Don't wander in there in the beginning of the song and towards the end. It's kind mm-hmm. of haunting. It's a little bit. You got to listen to it to pick it up. Obviously, Garden of Stone means a graveyard. It's the sister song of Oceans to me. These mid-tempo kind of weird kind of like haunting, spooky type of songs. Uh, the vocals are great. The solo is nice. nice. Uh, the, you can hear that high pitch mic guitar in this song. Mm-hmm. I can't, I can't describe it. It's, you know, all the way into the outro. It's a little Stevie Ray Vaughan. And it's about death, facing it. Are you okay with it? Uh, some say maybe it's about the Gulf War at the time. Who knows? Um, but it's a it's a good song. It's, it's just another one of those grunge era type songs that uh, I think just, you know, it, it's, it puts you in the mood. Very Stone Hillish again, Tom. Mm, yep. Yep. So let's go. So I get it. Pearl Jam likes building a song to this like uncontrollable pace and then kind of bringing it back down. I can appreciate that. I get that these guys got a unique tone. They got a unique feel. Vetter's doing stuff people can't replicate. I need my music dumbed down. This shit is just too smart, too complicated. I don't get the poem storytelling shit sometimes that loneliness, confusion of youth, despair type shit. I, I I'm assuming this guy's about to jump off a bridge. I don't know because this 418 lasted fucking forever. This 418 was the longest 418 ever. Is this oceans like for you? This is almost oceans like, but we got one more song to go that I got to talk about. Holy shit. Was this song bad? Like it, I, it lasted way too fucking long. (laughs) You know what? You know what? You know what's happening here. This is what happens. He was too positive for a while. This, this, this is show. what happens when you spend years listening to Poison, and just, just Sonny just can't rap. 
his brain around deep lyrical content. It's, it's between Kiss and Poison. <laughs> we've just become so stupid as music fans that if it's not pull the trigger on my love gun, then fuck it. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but that being said, this this is a, a look. I like the song and I like the song musically because it's again, it's a different thing. It's almost like a kind of like a funk vibe to it with like the weird guitars and the, the verses kind of have like an odd kind of time signature vibe to it. But you're right. I mean, on the edge of windowsill ponders his maker ponders his will, you know, when he sinks a needle deep, you know, then the next thing he sinks a burning knife deep. There's a lot going on with this song. Um, many different interpretations. Like you said, is it about a guy on drugs ready to kill himself? Is it about a guy not sure what he's doing with his own life personally? Um, I like the song. I think the lyrics are kind of a mess musically. I like it because it's different. Kind of like what I was saying about garden. I think it's a different song. It's not just a straight edge rocker. It's got some, uh, some different concepts to it that, that I like about it. Deep. The music is stone Gossard and Jeff Ament. another kind of prodding grungy song. This song grew on me. Don't, I mean, it's not a big thing of me, but I used to be like, this song sucks. Turn it off. And then I started reading the lyrics a little more since we got into doing the album review on this. The vocals are strong, the guitar and drums. Uh, the first verse I'm thinking is about a heroin guy mm-hmm. going in deep. The second makes me think it's about some resil- uh, religious zealot. And the third is like a hooker living her life and doing something weird. Uh, it grew on me. I never really liked the song, but it, I always think of anytime this song comes on, do-do-do-do. And it's just like, I always think of the Beavis and Butthead. You said deep. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what comes in. I don't know. Uh, you're in too deep, which being because you can't touch the bottom because there is none. And, and just, yeah, I get what Sonny's talking about. Because I said to Tom prior to the starting, like, this was a difficult album review. Every fucking song had its like own thing. Like yep. it's it was tiring doing this album review. It, I agree. There's a lot of thought going into this, but it makes me think like like Sonny and I kind of see his point. Like you know, Sonny's music that he likes is like for bands that think like Poison's music and lyrics is like too deep thought, like yeah. thought provoking. Like oh yeah, that's too fucking that's too uh, uh, deep for me. I I need what about uh. Pretty boy floored. No, 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 no. Dumb it down even more. Yeah, this is it's not like we're analyzing what burden like a flame is about. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just you, know, you need lyrics like and I'm not gonna tell you what band it was because we might do it soon. Uh-oh. There's lyrics about you brought a knife to a gunfight, so fuck you. Oh, okay. That's great I like, lyrics. I, that's wonderful. Yeah. That's wonderful. I like Very it. easy to listen to. Yep. Okay. Right. I, I I hear you. I just yeah, like even like even this, like I'm at what is this track 10? And I'm like, what is he fucking singing about here? Hold on, let me look at the fucking lyrics. It's <laughs> like, what the fuck? Uh, but we're not there, we're there now. Last song. Right. <laughs>
So for the listeners, there is nothing wrong with your audio. I repeat, there is nothing wrong with your audio. I like the chill, calming start. All is good for about 27 seconds of this song. Come on, man. I am doing that because this melody is so fucking slow. (laughs) And not only did he waste four and a half minutes of my time getting through the first part of the song, he went and wasted another four and a half minutes of my time listening to the second part of this nine minute song. It made me go listen to footsteps. I'm like, I'm going to have to go listen to footsteps to figure out if footsteps is any better. And it's better than oceans release and deep. No doubt release absolutely sucks. <laughs> and it is not worse than oceans. I got to tell you, but it's my, goddamn close. Some of my favorite album review crew, sunny analysis comments is when he bitches about the length of a song as if you have somewhere to be. That a nine-minute song is going to interfere with your daily operation. <laughs> now, that being said, I love this song. I fucking, oh I, and I'll tell you why. And it's the same reason we say it all the time. Alb- long, epic, soaring album closers are things that I love. It's the last song. That's why I love it. Now, I've I've said this before, and it is stunning to me. It makes zero sense. It defies all logic in concerts. When you go see a band and they open up with Kiss, Detroit Rock City, or whatever, Pearl Jam historically opens with this song, which to me is stunning. I don't understand that. It defies all logic for a band at opening. That being said, I love it. I think it's a great epic song. Again, it shows another side of what's going on on this album. Um, and I think it's funny because Eddie Vedder said about this song, he said, everybody plugged in their guitars and started just tinkling around. He said, I started humming. I started moaning. Then all of a sudden we had a six minute song. So I know Sonny's going to be like, yeah, you're right. You started fucking around with your guitar and moaning and you ended up with a fucking six minute song, however long the song is. Um, I love it because I just love those real soaring closing songs on an album. Release was written by all the members of the band for music. Stone Gosser, Jeff Ament, Dave Cruson, Mike McCready, Eddie Vedder. That long droning in the beginning and the buildup and songs supposedly about loss. Maybe his dead dad. Oh, dear dad. Oh, dead dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, the vocals are off the charts. Then they go into the silence and then they go into who I don't know who in alternative rock started this fucking trend of the fucking hidden track shit, but it blew up in the nineties. Okay. Yep. It's not even a song. So that master and slave thing comes on boom, 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 boom thing. And it goes on for 10 minutes. So you only had to hear it really once Sonny. You didn't have to listen to it over again Do like, Oh, I got to experience this. So the song is really about four and a half, five minutes. So it's not that bad. Um, (laughs) It's not that bad. It's not that bad. <laughs> that well, bad. I'm saying about as the length. No, least. I know. I'm good. I, I know. But it was one of those things when you're in college and you got music playing on your five disc change player, 
and you fucking get to this part and you're like, God damn it. Fucking I have to listen to another five minutes of nonsense. Like, God, <laughs> where's the fucking where's the clicker? Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> it's just brutal. But uh, for me, I like the song. Supposedly, he didn't ha- really have lyrics and he just started singing things. Oh, like like he's trying to act like the words came to him from God or something. Yeah. Zeus, Zeus, he was like, settle down. He was doing British me. He's doing Joycey. Um, it's a good way to end the album, and it is an album closer. Anywhere else on this album would yeah, work. Exactly. Um, so Sonny, are you alive? We finished. I'm alive. I'm still alive. All we right. made it. Let's get to the good stuff. Well, any closing thoughts? Yeah, so here's my closing thoughts. The album is emotional and is sad. If it matters, I like Pearl Jam 100% better than Nirvana. I like Soundgarden, Stone Temple Pilots, and Alice in Chains 100% better than I like Pearl Jam. 11 songs, I think four are great, three are meh, and four are absolute shit. (laughs) God, that's a rough listen. That's because the four that are absolute shit is like half the album when it comes down to time wise. So it's it's a rough list. Oh, that's all, all right. I got to say. All right. <laughs> so for me, so I know Sonny, Sonny always talks about well, not just Sonny, but a lot of people talk about Desert Island discs. Um, I for me, and this is not just a nostalgia base because we, we do we have covered albums that have nostalgia base. And there is a lot of nostalgia with this album. But uh, musically, I just love this album. I, I I just love everything about it. I love the songs that rock. I love the guitar work. I like the lyrical content. I like how some of the darker songs are masked by upbeat rock rhythms. And then there's songs like, like Release and songs like Black. Um, it's just one of my all-time favorite albums. And, and I just, you know, I'm just glad that i have a show with you guys that allow me to pick albums that i like like this like this one so uh i'm thrilled to, that we finally talked about pearl jam um for me i will add this uh pearl jam is just a band that i know extremely well here's the difference like for me i feel pearl jam isn't my band from the era to sunny it would probably seem that it is but we each had like our own little thing and there are times that they've all rotated, but, you know, Stone Temple Pilots, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, uh, Pearl Jam, Nirvana. I was the Nirvana crew guy when when we were the, uh, in college, but I loved Pearl Jam. I didn't have to hate one to like the other. Uh, I've always felt, you know, compared to Sonny, obviously, this is my band, but I have a, a nostalgic feeling because this was the first one of them. This is a, a CD that was constantly played by me. It was on the five disc change player. It's, uh, you know, I don't even know if it's my favorite Pearl Jam album, but it's up there. And uh, for me, it, it's uh, a part of uh, uh, why I love doing this show to talk about the memories, to get the flashbacks of when you got into this album and uh, I, I uh, I'm I'm pumped that Tom picked this. I'm curious to see what the uh, the song rankings are, and we're gonna get to that next. So, Tom, how do you want to do this order? I mean, it's your album. Yeah, I'll go first. All right, all right. Uh, I'm gonna go first. Number eleven. Yes. Oceans. 
Sonny. Uh, number 11, Oceans. By far the worst song we have done in 23 episodes. <laughs> you're fucking out of your mind. I, I love you, but you're crazy. He's so insane. Uh, number 11 for me, uh, Deep. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, now this, I'm going to tell you right now, Oceans was the, was the obvious last track for me. This is, we've said this before about a lot of albums where songs like four through 10 for me, or maybe six through 10 can be interchangeable. Now my 10th song, it's a great song, but something's got to be number 10 and that's Jeremy. Wow. Okay. Uh, number 10 for me was release. I would have made it (laughs) 10.99 if I could. (laughs) Number 10 for me is Garden. Oh, boy. Number nine for me, as much as I just said I love the song, Release. Uh, Number nine for me is Deep. Nine, Release. See, we're not that different here because number eight for me is Deep. Uh, Number eight for me is Once. (gasps) Hold that gasp. Number eight for me is Once. (laughs) all right all right all right dude there's i love this whole album i I have to put something somewhere number seven for well you guys might gasp at this number seven for me is black wow uh number seven for me is why go why go because it sucks here that's why go (laughs) (laughs) oh boy uh number seven for me why go <laughs> oh, okay, Zeus and Sonny. Dude, I said the last song previous. I said I love everything on this album. Gotta put something somewhere. Number six for me, Garden. All right, six for me is Porch. Now that's fucking insane. That's a fe- that's offensive. All right, so this is that's funny an offensive because- odor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. You guys haven't noticed, but I didn't pick this song yet. Number six for me, Oceans. Good God. All right. And here come the here come the top five slam dunks for me. Number five, why go? Sonny, tell us why go. Uh, uh, because it's better somewhere else. <laughs> um, <laughs> number five for me is Garden. It was wow. that whole I will walk. Yeah, right? yeah no, that that's was, good. That was what yep. that was what uh, number five for me, Black. Wow. Yeah, this is the top five for me are real tough because they could be shuffled on any given day. Number four, once. Uh, number four for me is even flow. So the next, uh, the last three, three, four, and five interchangeable. I really have no, no idea where to, I just mixed them up. Number four for me is Jeremy. Okay. Uh, number three, even flow. Uh, number three for me was alive. Number three for me, alive. Number two for me is porch. Number two for me is Jeremy. Two for me is even flow. Number one, the greatest song with the greatest guitar solo alive. Uh, number one for me is black. Wow. Okay. Mount Rushmore grunge song for me, by far, most intense, fucking best guitar, vocals, drums on this album, Porch. Nice. 
What do we got for an average there? All right. So the number, well, let me go to uh, number four first. So number four overall was black. Tied for number two were both even flow and porch. And number one was alive. Because okay. alive ended up in all happen? of our top threes. If I knew alive, that, I would have dropped it. Oh, oh, yeah, you should have had your B list and your A list to fuck the rankings. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah, because you Sonny... know I had oceans at number one before. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, whatever. Well, fucking Sonny really hates this. I need to make it number one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Let's go to the ranking of album covers versus the previous 21 albums we've reviewed. All right. So, all right. So the 21 previous albums that we've done for ARC in chronological order are Appetite for Destruction, Slide It In, OU812, Super Unknown, Pyromania, Load, Peace of Mind, Bon Jovi, Blizzard of Oz, Jar Flies, Winger, Single Soundtrack, Mechanical Resonance, Odyssey, Hailstorm, Detonator, Highway to Hell, Once Bitten, Look what the cat dragged in Hotel California and back for the attack. Uh, right now, my album covers at number one. I have Blizzard of Oz and at the bottom of that list is Detonator. So for me, I am going to put 10 right at number six. I got that below Pyromania at number five and above the chick from Once Bitten at number seven. So I got Pearl Jam 10, the album cover at number six. Sonny? For me, my number one album cover was Peace of Mind. My dead last one was Load. I've got 10, basically at number 10, between Tesla's Mechanical Resonance and Hailstorm's self-titled album. I think it's a good cover. Overall, I think it's a cool cover. I just it's cool. Dead Center. Yeah, yeah, I think the, to me, the color is what kind of strikes it. So it's cool. Yeah. All right. I had Hotel California, which is iconic. Tony, fuck you. <laughs> I had load. Tony's taking a beating in this episode. <laughs> I had load as number uh, 21 for me, like Sonny. Uh, this one is going to fall right underneath Jar of Flies and above Once Bitten. Um, so this one will fall in at number nine for me. Okay. And it's funny because once bitten, I went down that YouTube video, uh, rabbit hole and I was watching a little of rock me again. Yeah. I love the ARC. Good God. That chick is so fucking hot. Mm -hmm. And I was trying (laughs) to find out anything like what she's in now, like what she looks like now. I couldn't see anything. I guess she's not in the industry anymore. But that video, she is like the cover isn't as hot as she is in the videos. Right. When, she, when she's walking out with the spear and the fucking sports bra, the leather skirt. <laughs> just <laughs> what the fuck? Yep. Notice he started with the spear. Spear. Oh, a spear gun. She was going to fucking. And she had a thing in her nose. Oh, no. Was... She was going to fucking take a spear gun and shoot fucking Jack Russell's fucking toucan sam nose off because good <laughs> god that guy is not an attractive male no he's not but that's okay we love his music yes 
Um, yeah, so uh, that's where I have 10. Let's go to album rankings. Okay, so right now for me at number one, I have Tesla Mechanical Resonance. And dead last is Look What the Cat Dragged In, Poison. And Pearl Jam 10 uh, is going to take the new crown, number one, no doubt. 10 number one. Wow. Yep. By far. This is, this is not just a desert Island disc for me. This is like a borderline Mount Rushmore album for me. So 10 number one by far. Sonny. All right. So number one, I have Hailstorm and dead last for me right now is load 10 because of the strengths of the four songs that I really like is better than load. It's better than Jar of Flies. It's better than Super Unknown. And believe it or not, it is better than Detonator. <laughs> At number 18 comes 10. And yes, that means I like Hotel California better than 10. I'm just glad that 10 isn't last. I think we I think I, I think this whole Jedi mind trick worked on Sonny. He likes Pearl yeah. Jim. One I, more release, and it would have been dead last. <laughs> they would have had a 12 that said release the aftermath or whatever. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not too surprised he put it there. That makes sense. Um, you just, you're not, not a fan of the grunge albums. How do you this, honey? <laughs> New. All right. So number one for me was Hotel California. Uh, number 21 was Winger. Um, all right. Where am I putting 10? Whoo, God, this is going to be tough. Um, I'm going to put 10 whew, at number for now, number six underneath back for the attack and above highway to hell. You have docking back for the attack better than Pearl Jam 10. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Two different styles of music. Yeah, no but, shit. But I mean, I love them all. I love the whole album. No, I know. There's I nothing know. on Back for the Attack that I don't love. And really nothing that I don't like on Pearl Jam. Oh, I got gotcha. you. Um, the the thing about Back for the Attack is there's three or four songs that I don't change. I yeah. turn up on 10 so much fatigue right now that I there's one, there's two, even flow and porch. Yep. Everything else, it depends on my mood. If I, but I love the songs. It's just yeah. like, oh. It's oh, yeah. like the same thing we talk about. Detroit Fatigue. Rock City comes in, Love Gun comes on. But if you really want to put on the headphones and listen to Love Gun, you're like, fuck, this song does rock. Yep. But, you know, in the car, you're like, fucking give me something else. I want to hear something new. Yep. So uh, back for the attack uh, uh, is ahead of it. But it's number six for me. Look at the albums it's ahead of, you know? So I, got, I hear you. Yep. Yeah. So that wraps up the, uh, the album. It certainly does. Yep. Now what we go to next, it's this. So rock hard. 
So continuing my love of rock documentaries, um, this one is about a band that I never really get to talk about because I'll be honest with you. I don't know if anybody out there even likes them the way that I do. Uh, and that is Leonard Skinner. I fucking love that band and we never get to really talk about them. Uh, who knows? Maybe down the road, I'll pull out a Skinner album for ARC, but there is a documentary that came out a few years ago that I missed, but it just dropped on Netflix recently called if I leave here tomorrow authorized documentary about the history of the band uh, came out in 2018. It's about an hour and a half long. Um, and it is just fantastic. I mean, e- e- I, I, even if you are really not a fan of Skinner, uh, if you are, I can't recommend it high, more highly. Um, it has archival footage. It has interviews with the uh, sur- the surviving members of the band now. Skinner's still touring. They just played here in Massachusetts a few days ago. Um, so it tells the history of the band, um, how, th- how they got their start, how they got their name. And one of the things that I learned that I did not know about was that the plane crash that killed their lead singer, Ronnie Van Zant, that there were survivors on that plane, that that plane crashed. And they actually speak with the band members who survived and told the, the, the story of the plane crash and how they survived and what happened. And it was just, just brutal stuff, but just really, really excellent stuff about the band just a bunch of regular guys who just hooked up and wrote songs about the friggin' shit that they know. And it's really cool too. Cause speaking of guitar solos, the documentary ends with a live performance of them doing the solo to Freebird. And I know Freebird, you talk about fatigue, but that solo is fucking mind blowing. And that's how the, the that's how the documentary ends. So uh, it's on Netflix. Now, if I leave here tomorrow, the story of Leonard Skinner, very, very awesome stuff. If you're into band histories. Sonny, what do you got, buddy? So going to my love of Xfinity, because I got Xfinity here. I love talking into that goddamn remote. You can do whatever you want with that. (laughs) So I've got like 315 movies saved. Uh, Some I'll watch by myself. Some I'll watch with Nicole. And then I've got a bunch of porn. um, Yeah, I've got a bunch of uh, TV show series that. Some I've seen before, some I haven't, like I got Yellowstone Sage, right? That kind of stuff. But I found this one called Pitch. And it's it was from Fox. It only lasted one season. Is that the fat from singer? 2016. No, no, no. Oh, that, no, that, no. That's Pitch Perfect. The fat, yeah, yeah. blonde this is, English woman? Yeah, yeah no, 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 no. This is just called Pitch. Okay. So basically, like I said, it lasted one season on Fox, ran in 2016. The series is about uh, a young woman pitcher who is the first one to play in the major leagues and she's playing for the San Diego Padres. So it's about the pressures of being famous, right? She's the Jackie Robinson, of female, you know, uh, baseball players. She's trying to fit in with her male teammates. She's trying to get taken seriously. The failure of sports stuff that comes out from the background, her family life, they connected all of this stuff. It's amazing that this thing didn't take off. Because honestly, it's done really well. There's 10 episodes. There's five act, uh, actors and actresses. Four you've probably heard of, but the main character you have not. And the main character, her name is Kylie Bun- uh, Bunbury. She is a African-American, very attractive actress. She hasn't been in much else. Uh, relatively new. Uh, Mark Paul Gosler's in this thing. Remember, homie from Z- Saved in the Bell? Saved mm-hmm. from the Bell? By the yep. Bell, I guess. By the bell, from the bell. 
Um, Mark Consuelos, who is uh, Lodge on Riverdale, if you watch Riverdale. Uh, Dan Loria, who was the dad in the Wonder Years. Mm-hmm. And Allie Larder, who uh, she's been in Heroes. Ooh, she's she's been in the Resident Evil. Yeah, she's, she's kind of the agent to Kylie. Okay. It's like I said, it's done really well. It's very like my daughters could watch this because it was a Fox show, right? So there's yeah. no really craziness going on in there. It's not a bunch of nude stuff, blah, blah, blah. I'm telling you, the first episode is what had me hooked because I actually choked up at the first episode. And I'm not a guy that has like a super warm heart. And if it no. can get me no. like no, you watering don't. my eyes, no. No, I'm like, doesn't. damn, dude, this thing. So it's a really it's worth the watch, especially if you have daughters. And if you got teenage daughters, they would really enjoy this. No, what's it on? What where can you find? Is there any streaming services or is it just Xfinity on demand? I'm watching it on Tubi. So oh, yeah. okay. Xfinity allows you to do Amazon, Netflix, Tubi, yep. Hulu, all of it. And yep. it's on Tubi right now. Tubi's great. Okay, cool. Nice. Yeah. All right. So for me, I, I threw it out before the episode. I, you're like, why don't you just do that? I'm like, oh, okay, I will. So um, I had uh, I was a big fan of this movie when I was younger. Uh, I, I'm a big Elvis fan, as you guys all know. I, uh, I would probably maybe put Elvis first of everything, believe it or not. No, I'm not doing an Elvis podcast. Fucking that would be <laughs> the amount of research and the shit you would have to do. to. Oh, do God, I'm not fucking dealing with that shit. Well, anyways, when I was in high school, there was a movie that was in, came out in 1988 called the Heartbreak Hotel. And it was kind of it started David Keith and Tuesday Weld. Tuesday Weld was actually in an Elvis movie in the in the 60s. And so in this movie, it's kind of one of those fantasy movies. Uh, the kid that was, I don't know what else, what other movies he's been in, but he's pretty, I've seen him in a bunch of shit. I think he was on the Ferris Bueller TV show, Charlie, Charlie Schlatter. And he was in that fucking awful change roles with George Byrne. What was that movie again? Oh, uh, um, 18, 18 again. Yes. There you go. Yeah. 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 Remember when those were big things? He was in that. Well, anyways. He plays a movie. His mom like loves Elvis. It's taking place in 1972. So at this point, Elvis is, you know, Vegas Elvis. Um, and his mom is going through a difficult period in her life, but she's a big Elvis fan. Her boyfriend beats her up. And so he's like, Elvis is playing in town tonight. So maybe if I can get Elvis to come to my house and talk to my mom. So him and his f- uh, friends, they, uh, they're in a, like a little rock band that is into Alice Cooper. And so I watched this movie with my daughter and I was just joking that yeah, mean Tom just saw Alice Cooper. So this is 72. They get into they uh, hatch a fucking hairband scheme to to kidnap Elvis to bring him home so he can cheer up his mom and date his mom. Long story short, obviously, somehow Elvis gets to his mom and there's all sorts of adventures and teaching about rock and roll and Elvis and the, them trying to tell Elvis he's out of touch and he's got to get back to being a badass rock and roller and then then him trying to teach the kid about how to be to your fans and how to be a man and all this other it's interesting i like david keith he was a pretty good actor he was in office and a gentleman he's been in a lot of movies if you see him you'll probably know what i'm talking about regardless the movie is easy fun uh for me i loved it because it was elvis it also uh brought back a lot of memories for me when i watched it again with my daughter i had the soundtrack i had a uh, uh what's that song that was in it it's the first time Uncle Cracker fucking covered it and destroyed. Oh it. no! Uh, what's that song? I forget the guy's name. Something. 
I want to get lost in your rock and oh, roll. Oh, Drift Away, Dolby, oh, Dolby yeah. Gray or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gray. Yeah, and yeah. fucking Uncle Cracker killed yes, That was the yes. first time I heard that from that soundtrack. Yeah. Anyways, it's got a lot of fun stuff. It's it's really like you see it. You're like, dude, there's no fucking way that they're fucking kidnapping Elvis in the, in the 70s with the millions of his entourage. But regardless, if it was a fun little movie, if you like Elvis, you'll get a lot of the little side things, a little little fun little uh easter eggs you'll see in the movie and uh it's a nice pleasant family movie you can watch see when when you talk about comedies or entertaining movies that involve you know unbelievable kidnappings the first thing that comes into my mind is that spectacular movie celtic pride (laughs) (laughs) i love that movie oh my god fucking movie baby beantown dude that is so (laughs) ridiculous they kidnap Damon Wayne, so he can't play Love in the that finals. Movie. Oh yeah, kind Love of like it. you know kidnapping Elvis. That's what to, I mean. So he can go on a date with your <laughs> right, mom in right. the seventies <laughs> at his height in popularity. Oh, um, that's the, great. The movie's got some great fun, like yeah. Elvis little things. If you like Elvis and stuff, you'll you'll enjoy the movie. It's nice and fun and easy. Cool. And it's a great thing about rock and roll and the true, like really. That part of it is really cool and nice. it transcends and works. Cool. So, Damon Wayans. What do you think? I wore a diaper here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Terrible. Anyway, Tom, Sonny, where can we find us? Sonny, go ahead, buddy. Uh, I'm pretty easy. I'm on all the socials. Uh, GrowingUpRock.com is probably the easiest way to find Growing Up Rock. And then Podcast Rock City, we're live most Sundays, uh, 5 p.m. Eastern, which I believe we'll, we will be live today. So, Tom, how about us? Yeah, so shout it out loudcast. So if this is your first time hearing us, uh, we are an all-Kiss podcast. We drop new Kiss-related episodes every Saturday, and then we do these album review crew episodes once a month, usually at the end of each month. Um, and you can reach out to us at our email address, shoutoutloudcast at gmail.com. Reach out to us. Let us know what you think of this episode or the other ones or the KISS episodes. And we're on all the social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. So you can follow us there. Um, DM us, send us messages. And uh, our show is part of the great Pantheon podcast network of uh, tons of great music-related podcasts. So check us out. And also make sure you catch our, the new sidecast you'll be finding soon is the Zepp Chronicles, where we start getting into Zeppelin. Uh, Zepp, we just had our introduction episode drop. That's out, and you'll be seeing some new ones come in uh, on Zeppelin soon on the Zeppelin Chronicles, and that's with Jay from the Hook Rocks. Uh, Don't forget our Patreon account. Uh, That is uh, something that we uh, started up earlier this year. It's been a big help. We really appreciate your support there, and we love our Patreon family members. Check it out. You can find it on the app at patreon.com or in the episode notes. Uh, Tom, we always like to tell people they can DM us on Instagram, Facebook, or on Twitter. Um, in addition, we like to repeat the actual email. Shout it out loudcast at gmail.com. Shout it out loudcast at gmail.com. We love getting the feedback, especially on these album review episodes. The emails are fantastic. In addition, don't forget to uh, like and follow and subscribe to us on YouTube. YouTube. There you go, Tom. And uh, and give us one of those five star, star child reviews on iTunes as well. All those things are greatly appreciated. 
So before we leave, we always like to go to famous last words. You got any, Tom? Backstreet lover on the side of the road. I got a bomb in my temple that is going to explode. I got a 16 gauge buried under my clothes. I play. That's right, baby. I play. (laughs) Sonny, what do you got for us? I will walk with my hands bound. I will walk with my face blood. I will walk with my shadow flag into your garden, garden of stone, where I hope there's better music than the ones we just listened to. These lyrics are slightly different than back for the attack. (laughs) (laughs) Zeus, take us home. All the bills go by and the initiatives are taken up by the middle. There ain't going to be any middle anymore. And the cross I'm bearing home ain't indicative of my place. Left the porch, left the porch. Yeah, that is poison like lyrics. That's a little different than Jimmy's bar and grill. Yes. Tom, thank you. Uh, Sonny, thank you. Loudcasters, Kiss Army. Much appreciated. We love you. Always a great time. Love Sunday mornings with you. We got to figure it out on football season. Agreed. Guys, thank you so much. Love talking Pearl Jam. Sonny, I'm happy that your album wasn't dead last. Thanks for joining us as always. And thank you, everybody out there listening. I can't wait to hear what you guys think of this album. Zeus, my friend, thank you as always. The soft prejudice of low expectations. There you go. I like it. Well said. Yeah. Uh, Again, sorry, Sonny. We started at 10 o'clock. I didn't know. Uh, Peace out, Girl Scout. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that fantasy points has to offer. That's fantasypoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. Fantasypoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.